we are proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia podcast network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. To our newest podcast, TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long-awaited return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remain an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're now in episode 34, which means we are beginning the World Wrestling Federation in 1993. I'm your host, Ray Russell, and Steve Eckstadt is back. Steve, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. It's always good to hear your voice, especially uh, here in the WWF in 1993. <laughs> I know that's, uh, that's uh, oh, yeah, prime sure. year. That's prime Steve time. So we got to have you here. Uh, we've recently launched our Facebook and YouTube channels, and we really need your subscriptions, your likes, your follows on those in order to get vanity URLs. First, Facebook. If you go to Facebook and type in the Wrestling Memory Grenade, there's only one on there. I'm not going to bother trying to read off the URL. You'll see why I want a vanity one in a minute. It's a bunch of numbers and letters and whatever the hell they threw together. We only need 25 likes. I believe it's likes, but follow us as well while you're there. Maybe it'll be like Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade or something like that. It'd be a lot easier to find us that way. Ditto over on YouTube. I've been adding a shit ton of WWF footage. Uh, 19, I shouldn't really say that on here, should I? But a lot of cool little clips of 1993 footage being added and will continue to be added. And I, I'm going to throw in some territory stuff here and there as well. So you guys 
always stay stay tuned to our YouTube channel. Again, go to YouTube, look up the Wrestling Memory Grenade on YouTube. We do need 100 subscribers over there in order for us to have a vanity URL, but we already have 26 in just one week, Steve. So I, I have a feeling it's not going to take too long to reach our goal, but please go over to YouTube, look up the Wrestling Memory Grenade on YouTube, follow us there, or excuse me, subscribe to us on YouTube. Once we have 100 subscribers, we can also create our own vanity URL there. So it'll be like youtube.com slash wrestling grenade or whatever as well there. Lastly, I got to remind everybody to go over to our Twitter account. That, of course, is at wrestling grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N grenade, home of the free prize giveaway. And right now, Steve has offered up an 8x10, an autographed 8x10 of Bret Hart from the WWF years. I actually pointed that out, Steve, because I had one user messaged me after they saw the picture and said, thank you for using a WWF autographed eight by 10 instead of one when Brett had his uh, stroke. So I guess it was a little bit of a joke they were throwing in there, but they, they were just happy. It looked like a, a good old fashioned hitman picture there. So special thanks to you again, Steve, for offering that up again. And uh, next week we will announce the winner of that free prize giveaway as part of the Royal Rumble 93 watch along show. So thank you again, Steve. You know, I'm, I'm, I get where that dude's coming from. All these like custom graphics and posters and T-shirts and crap that they make. It's like uh, it's a match for WrestleMania three between Savage and Steamboat, and they got a picture of Macho Man from like 1994. And it's like this doesn't this doesn't go here. So I I, I try to keep it as accurate as possible. Uh, like with the Lex Luger autograph. It was from 1989. It was his U.S. title run, so it could have been 90, but it, it was pretty much the same. But uh, if I'm going to keep it consistent. I'm not going to give a U.S. Express Lex Luger uh, or the Lex Express <laughs> Lex Luger in NWA 89. I'll save that for WWF 93. So I understand where that guy's coming from. Try to make it as accurate as possible. Well, I'm sure they really appreciate that all of our subscribers, listeners, downloaders, casual listeners – all of you guys, why don't you go on over? All you got to do is follow us on Twitter. That's it. Just follow us on Twitter, and you too can win a Brett Hitman Hart autographed 8x10. And uh, we'll announce that winner next week on next week's show as part of the Royal Rumble Watch Long, which is going to be a hell of a fun time, I would imagine, Steve. Yeah, I, I know it's not one of the best, but it's one of my favorites. It's a, I have fond memories of that show as well. It's not necessarily one of the worst of all time, that's for sure. And uh, I do also want to thank everyone who has been following us as of late. We've had over 30-some followers in the last week on Twitter join us in the uh, crusade to uh, push the WrestleCopia brand. And I know a lot of you out there, well, I get 100 a week or 1,000 a week. Some people get 10,000 a week. Well, that's great, but my first name's not Conrad. My last name's not Cornette. So, so I think we're doing pretty good for where we're at, Steve. Yeah. We're not putting ourselves out there in the sense that we already have a name established, things like that. When you're, when you're starting from the bottom, it, it takes a lot of work and, and legwork and manpower. So uh, we just can't spend money and buy people like Flair and Jim Ross and get these big name podcasts going. So we all of a sudden we're famous. Uh, that doesn't work that way. So we'll take what we can get. And at some point we'll get there. It's just going to take us longer than others. So that's okay. More rewarding that way, right? Yeah, and I gotta say too, you know, our numbers have really picked up over the last several, the few last few weeks of the NWA in 1989. The numbers have really started to excel, and uh, that's a pretty cool deal. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we do here with the WWF in 1993. A lot of people intrigued, a lot of retweets, a lot of likes, on a lot of the posts I've been posting. You can go to YouTube, you can go to Facebook, you can go to Twitter, you can go to any of those three. Check out a lot of the pictures I've already added, a lot of the. Video clips I've already added, some exclusive matches and some other things, some other fun things. 
Virgil getting dumped on his head for being an asshole. So uh, a lot of lot of little fun things already added to our uh, social media pages. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down, from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, exclusively as part of the WrestleCopia brand, available on WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. But we're going to get going. If you're ready to go, Steve, we're going to do it. Ready to roll. All right. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to kick things off with January of 1993 in the WWF. We're going to cover everything from January 1st through January 25th, which is actually the day after the Rumble, the final Monday Night Raw of January. But it's quite all right because they don't really allude to the Royal Rumble or a whole lot that happened at the Rumble on that episode. So it all ties in fine. And I like ending on a high note. And you can't end much higher than the that, that big episode of Raw. We'll talk about that later in the show. We're going to focus on three main aspects in these episodes of The Grenade while we're in the WWF in 93. And that, of course, being the syndicated episodes of Superstars and Wrestling Challenge. And, of course, Monday Night Raw, which will begin with the second week of January. And then every once in a while, I'll pop up and throw a little uh, sound clip or maybe uh, just an exclusive match note or something from All-American or Mania, maybe even Spotlight. Who knows? But in general, we're going to be focusing on superstars, wrestling challenge, and Monday Night Raw, Steve. So if you're ready, we're going to take a trip down memory lane here in January of 1993. Let's get to it. All right. So we kick things off with WWF superstars, January 2nd, 1993. That's a Saturday. Let's just get this right out of the way, right out of the gate. I understand that because superstars and challenge were in syndication, the different people got them on different days. But typically, most people got superstars on Saturday and wrestling challenge on Sunday. Yes, I'm aware some people got them both on the same day or one of them aired in the middle of the week and and whatever. But where I grew up, there was superstars on Saturday, challenge on Sunday. From my understanding, that was basically the the gist of it in in a lot of the the markets and even the bigger markets. So that's what we're going with here. So when I give you dates, it's going to be superstars Saturday, challenge Sunday. And we kick things off with superstars on January 2nd. Tape back on December 14th, Green Bay, Wisconsin at the Expo Center. And immediately we get a new announce team. Bobby Heenan had already brought Jerry the King Lawler in to basically replace him, along with Vince McMahon, on Superstars. But Randy Savage rejoins the old announcement. Remember when Randy was there with Roddy Piper and whatnot back in the day? Well, Randy's back again because he's back into that semi-retirement mode. Vince has him lumped back into the uh, commentary desk with uh, Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, it's, it's okay. I, I mean, it's nothing memorable. I remember Mr. Perfect. He's solid. He was good during 92. Obviously, Honky Tonk Man was there for a minute before he left in the in 91. <laughs> so it's like a revolving door of superstars that take that spot. Piper was on there for a, a piss break. So I don't know if this is a Vince thing where he just likes to test people out, give them something to do if they're no longer wrestling or don't want to wrestle. But it was cool to hear Macho and Jerry Lawler together. 
Yeah, talk about going back back into the day, back into the Memphis territory, seeing Lawler and Savage up there at the same time. Lawler is, announces that he has entered the Royal Rumble as the show kicks off, and we go to the ring, and our very first match is Mr. Perfect taking on the Berserker with referee Joey Morella in the ring. I noted, noticed immediately there was no Mr. Fuji as uh, he has apparently abandoned the Berserker in uh, order to take care of Yokozuna. So we get two Minnesota boys in the ring. It's Hennig and uh, John Nord here. Nice opening crisscross spot with Perfect nailing a dropkick, sending the Berserker. What a bumper the Berserker was for his size, taking that backflip bump to the floor. I'm sure you've seen plenty of Berserker uh, matches, so what a great bumper he was for his size. You never would have expected a guy like that to be that flexible, agile, and take all those crazy bumps over the top to the floor. No, definitely not. I mean, he does the splits sometimes. and Right, yeah. I, I enjoy him. Mean, obviously, the Berserker is one of those niche characters that you either liked or you hated. I think over time, he's gotten a lot of love uh, because a lot of people enjoy it. I always liked it. I just thought I just it's like a very cheap version of Bruiser Brody, obviously. And right. um, he's kind of scaled it down to make it work in America, especially with Vince McMahon. I mean, obviously, <laughs> he's not going to have somebody like Bruiser Brody running around doing what he did. But John Nord was a nice scaled down version of that so i yeah, always and, enjoyed it. i thought he was and, nuts and his and nord, matches were fun yeah yeah and i agree and nord actually you know used to team with brody and he got the okay to do the gimmick you know earlier on when when brody was obviously still alive and it's basically you're, you're right it's a watered down brody in a viking costume it's really all this berserker gimmick is so anybody who actually got, grew up watching brody on, on dallas or some of the other territories they clearly saw what this was uh with the berserker here they do a spot at one point where uh, Kurt Hennig uh, eats the shoulder into the corner post and his head's hanging out through the ropes. And the Berserker goes out and grabs his sword and tries to, and I quote, (laughs) cut his head off with a sword, says Jerry Lawler. But Perfect moves. He gets out of the way. I hate to spoil that for anyone, but Mr. Perfect does not get his head cut off during this match. It may have been the only offense the Berserker saw in this entire match. This is his final month with the company, so he's basically nothing but a job guy here. Uh, mid-match is perfect, basically dominates the entire match. Ric Flair comes to ringside, distracts Mr. Perfect. The Berserker tries to attack him from behind, and Perfect no-sells that and keeps beating the shit out of the Berserker. Finally, Berserker gets in, like, one offensive move as he knees Hennig to the floor, thanks to Flair's distraction, brings him back inside, and nails his front slam, front power slam, for a two-count, which was technically his finisher whenever he wasn't picking guys up and throwing him over the top rope. Berserker tries for a backdrop, which would have been offensive move number two, but Hennig turns it right into the perfect plex, picks up the win in four and a half minutes. And just to add an exclamation point to the Berserker being a, a jobber at this point, Hennig drop kicks him out of the ring to the floor post-match. Berserker with next to no offense here. Yeah, and, I, and Perfect's coming in after that switch at Survivor Series, taking the mm-hmm. spot of Warrior, so I, I get it. It makes sense. I mean, Berserker... He just got done doing that gimmick with Taker too, where he damn near tried to stab him. Right? That was that was in '92 going in. Yeah, I think that was or was that '91. Sum- no, I think that was that was '92. But I think that was you know that summer the house show gimmick, whatever you know, yeah. post mania type shit. Yeah. So he just got done with that, and he's on his downside. So I mean, it was fine with me. I thought it was a, it was a decent match for WWF. Um, it's one of those TV matches that you get two names in there that you don't get very often. So it was nice to see. 
Yeah, I knew this was on this episode. I just didn't realize how little offense they gave Nord here. Like, next to nothing. Again, they know he's on his way out, though, so I guess it makes sense. you got to put somebody over uh, on the way out, and Nord puts uh, Hennig over pretty good here. And again, two Minnesota boys, so that may have a little bit to do with it as well. And uh, as you know, Steve, when one guy leaves the company, typically somebody else comes in to fill the void, and Bobby Heenan announces the latest member to the WWF roster, Narcissus. You know something, Mr. Perfect? You got a pretty high opinion of yourself. You think you are the perfect athlete? The perfect wrestler? Well, after Ric Flair gets finished with you, you are going to be flawed, scarred, and tarnished. Which is why I will unveil to you, Mr. Perfect, and to all the humanoids throughout the world at the Royal Rumble, someone who is beyond perfect, someone who not only has a, a high opinion of himself, but is justifiably, truly in love with himself. And then, Mr. Perfect, when you feast your eyes on the person that I will unveil at the Royal Rumble, you will look back and say, why, I wasn't perfect at all. I didn't really measure up. I was really nothing without the influence of Bobby the Brain. If only I could look like Narcissus. That's right. All you ham and eggers at the Royal Rumble, the drape will drop. And so will the mouths of every man, woman, and child when you feast your eyes on Narcissus. And Steve, before we discuss this Narcissus character, Mean Gene gives us a description of what Narcissus means. While listening to those comments from Bobby the Brain Heenan, I asked our producer for the dictionary. And here's what Noah Webster has to say about the definition of Narcissus. A conceited, self-centered person. Thinking too highly of oneself. And unduly preoccupied with one's own appearance. Well, if this individual is everything that Bobby the Brain Heenan says he is, then I, for one, cannot wait till the Royal Rumble to see Narcissus. As we say here on the World Wrestling Federation, folks, stay tuned. With Update, I'm Gene Okerlund. Okay, so first and foremost, I'm going to openly admit, even in 1993, January of 1993, even though I was a teen now, I still had no idea immediately who Narcissus was going to be. And it's silly when you, in hindsight, when you think back, geez, it can only be one man. Did Minji not describe the character, the man who plays Narcissus to a T? <laughs> he definitely did. I mean, I didn't, I definitely didn't know who it was. I knew of Lex Luger, but I didn't know him. Uh, right. per se like his gimmick or anything at this point so it wasn't even so much the gimmick um, for me like i guess you know when you're a kid even my age at that time you don't really think the most obvious things you know what i mean like you're th oh who could it be it could be anything when you're a kid you know what i mean because your mind wanders luger would be an excellent choice because he's such a big name and I, I was a luger fan in wcw but we talked about how great luger did in the second half of 1989 in the nwa because he got to play himself basically to a degree you would think here with this narcissist character, it never really took off, at least for me. And it might have had a lot to do with the rest in, in ring shit as well. Uh, but even though this was like Luger playing himself to a degree, 
it just it never worked for me. We could talk about that more, you know, as the shows go on. But up up close, I mean, that sounds like a big deal. Lex Luger's coming to the WWF. Yeah, it's a huge deal. Uh, I'm kind of surprised. I get it. You, I guess. I mean, either way, you, you're going to be okay. But I'm surprised Vince didn't give the name like Luger's. It's Luger. But I get the the whole surprise factor. And I guess you could have easily seen what kind of draw he was going to be uh, if you announced that it's going to be Lex Luger going to be at the Royal Rumble. You could kind of see. I mean, people maybe tune in just to see that. So right. either way, it's fine with me. Um, but. I didn't really feel any way, certain way about Lex Luger in '93. I mean, he was sure. there. I've always enjoyed the look. I love the the gear and just the um, the cape and the tassels and stuff. I've always been a mark for tassels for whatever reason. I love when Bulldog had them, um, and like on his on his boots and uh, uh, the Warrior, obviously. So it's flashy. Like Kerry Von Erich, I always liked his too. So yeah. I mean, it just sticks out and it makes you. I always talk about it like with Michael Jackson. He always wore high pants and the white socks so you can see his feet. You're, you're paying attention to his feet. That's what he wants you to see. It's not necessarily the face, but you want to. He wants you to see the moves and his in his footwork and things like that. And how do you do that? You wear white socks and wear your pants up. That's what people are <laughs> going to look at. So when you have those boots with tassels flying off of them and just <laughs> flying everywhere, like Johnny B. Bad is another one. So I mean, it, it just sticks out. Like moves stick out when you see Johnny B. Bad do his bad day or whatever. You can see his boots and feet just flailing everywhere, so it's <laughs> it's uh, pretty cool. And I know like Perfect always messed with him and did shit with his tassels and pissed him off, but uh, it was a different look for Luger, and I, I liked it. it. Doesn't mean the in-ring work was any good, but you know, the presentation was nice. Right, and I like your your mindset there. Of why didn't they announce the name Lex Luger? I, now, granted, maybe in Vince's world, nobody even knows what a Lex Luger is or what a WCW is, especially you know this far back into 1993. But you would have had to have thought that would be a selling point to at least some of the curious WCW fans to flip over and, and or maybe make that you know drop that money just to see Lex Luger debut in the WWF. But you got to remember at this point, and I say at this point because before the end of this episode, it changes. But at this point, you know, they're just marketing the name Narcissus. At this point, they're not even planning to call him Lex Luger. It's like when the British Bulldog came came back. If you watch, he was the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. But eventually, his name disappeared. And he was just the British Bulldog for the most part, especially during re-entries. Same thing with Texas Tornado. When he debuted, he was the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. Fast forward a few months, and he's just the Texas Tornado. They like to own you. I don't have to tell you that, Steve, but... Here they are again, trying to own Lex Luger as Narcissus. Now that'll change here, obviously, in the weeks to come. But so far, Narcissus on his way to the WWF. And it was so interesting to see Bobby Heenan. Somebody had to cut the promos for him because he couldn't do it himself. Uh, so it was interesting they chose Bobby Heenan. It made sense because he was coming into feud initially with Mr. Perfect. But it had delusions of grandeur in my head as I thought, oh, Bobby Heenan's coming back as a manager. But we'll, we'll get to that much later on. Show Sorry, continues. <laughs> no, no, uh, no Heenan back. <laughs> no. So well, I didn't know, you know, all about the neck injury and things like that. And he couldn't come back and, and whatever back in those days. So I, I was always hoping that we'd see Bobby Heenan return, yeah. but it wasn't meant to be. And I get it. Uh, show goes on Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji in his corner over George Anderson with the bonsai drop in two minutes, 47 seconds. I noted this is where Fuji gets the, uh, the buzz cut. So he's lost the old, uh, bow tie and tuxedo gimmick. Uh, we get an insert promo from Earthquake during the Yoko match. Yoko is the new biggest man in the WWF, but Earthquake will make sure he doesn't win the Royal Rumble. So they're playing it up already 
teasing big man versus big man. The sad part is, and I kind of pointed this out last week when I was doing the, the fallout from 1992, Earthquake is already essentially gone from the WWF. He's not doing the house shows anymore at this point. He's just coming back to work the Rumble match, and then he's gone completely gone from the company for the time being. So not that we knew that back then, but it was cool to see them playing this up, Earthquake and Yokozuna. Yeah. I know I remember as a kid, and like I said, we'll talk about this when we get to the watch along, but I popped pretty big for uh, Earthquake and Yoko, their little stare down that they had in the Rumble. And I always, it never made sense to me that <laughs> he dumped Typhoon and then went after Yoko. Why not use your partner or your former partner, whatever the hell he is, and go after him together? I mean, again, that's the Rumble. I will say I love the white and red gear uh, by Yokozuna. It was my favorite tights. I, I wonder why he got rid of the white. Uh, I wonder if somebody told probably, him. Probably hard to keep clean with an ass that size, Steve. <laughs> That's true, too. But um, he did have the little the gimmick going over his asshole and his crack. So, <laughs> well, um, it was causing the wedgie even more <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, it, well, I mean, red just is dirty. But um, sure. the, white, the white was great, man. The white and red, even the white and black at the Rumble. I like uh, that he I mixed it up, got, period. If you got uh, too big. Yeah, I, I, I like that he mixed it up, period. Just changing your gear a little bit. That's that's always cool. And then it's just black and red from here on out, which is unfortunate. Yeah, you know, actually, it's coming up after WrestleMania when we uh, do some of the watch-alongs for the European tour. There's a, I don't remember the color scheme, but it was completely different than anything I'd ever seen before. I believe his trunks were red or black, and I can't remember what the thong was, but it was something different I'd never seen red? before. No, I don't I think, think so. Black and red I don't think so. I've been black. It, I do know he uh, at white and black. Uh, everybody listening to us talk bro. about sumo has uh, sumo uh, thongs here. <laughs> the sumo, the the black and white Hasbro. <laughs> Wish I had one of them in the package still. Jesus. Anyway, gotta call on. up uh, Zach Ryder or whatever the hell name he's going by these days. Maybe he's got one extra for you. Uh, I don't want to spend like four hundred bucks on one. So. <laughs> I'm well, just... <laughs> he's he's out of a full-time job. His wife's out of a full-time, or his girlfriend, whatever, is out of a, a job at the moment. So he better uh, <laughs> hold back for a little I bit anyway. Okay. Yeah, I think I, he's doing okay with podcast. I'm sure well, he's doing all right. It was just a joke. I make jokes. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing okay. Maybe maybe Vince will pay him to borrow his pool again after he got fired. What there a dick. Go. Yeah, what a fucking douche <laughs> nozzle. Anyways, we'll move on. It's Marty Jannetty in the ring over Tom Stone with the rocker dropper and the flying fist drop. Three minutes, ten seconds. We see Doink the Clown, the yet-to-be-named clown that will soon be named Doink. He's in the aisleway, and uh, it was uh, just a couple weeks ago that he threw a pail of water on Marty Jannetty, and Marty did absolutely nothing about it. So here after this match, Doink threatens to douse Marty once again with another bucket of water. Marty, the big, tough, bad guy, wrestler is afraid of water steve because his doink pretends to throw it marty runs away like a bitch only there was nothing in the bucket and doink drops down on the steel steps <laughs> laughing at marty Janetti, who does absolutely nothing about it after being made look like an asshole as he's heading into the royal rumble to take on Shawn michaels uh i don't know that marty was the best choice of guy to use for this but uh it was great it made you laugh so uh doink's doing his job somewhere Doink was awesome. <laughs> this is funny. Marty sold it well. This is before his match was announced at the Rumble. But it was after he came back and had that awesome return. <laughs> Shawn Michaels and the mirror and all that. And now he's running from uh, fucking water. 
Damien Demento. Talk about, well, you got to be hot to get cooled off. The crowd not digging any Damien Demento here. As there's, they don't even try to create fake crowd noise in the background for this match. Demento scores the win over Mitch Bishop with the Rude Awakening type neckbreaker, and then the exposed knee drop picks up the win in three minutes and 12 seconds. He had the size. They never gave him a manager. He couldn't cut a promo for shit. And if you don't believe me, go to the WWE Network whenever they actually add these back and listen to all those event centers. Uh, not a very good promo whatsoever. Not very good in the ring whatsoever. This is another one of those cases I've told you before about the Aftermags marketing guys. Remember Sabu, Public Enemy, we talked about on Monday Warfare. Mondo Clean, which was the name of Damian Demento on the Northeastern Independence before he got hired here as Damian Demento, was one of those early 90s after Darlings. His picture, be, look at him. I mean, you got to admit, just the look. With the shoulder pad gimmicks, and he had the exact same. I, I, that's how I knew who it was when he debuted, because they didn't give him new gear. That was the shit he wore in the aftermax. So I knew exactly who that was. His he didn't change his look whatsoever. And when you looked at that in the aftermax, you said, "Oh my god, how is this guy not in the big times?" He had the look of a, the character look. I mean, and then he made his debut, and then the bell rang, as they say. Yeah, I like the look. I thought I always thought he looked awesome. I like the gimmick, too. It just didn't work for this guy. From the outer reaches of your mind, that's pretty clever. But it, it, is, it never worked for me either. Uh, I mean, he looks cool, but like you said, the bell rang. And I'm telling Nothing you, Steve, go, no, and go back to 91, 92 after Max. I'm sure you, you probably have a few of those laying around. And I'm sure there's bound to be a page with a giant picture of Mondo Clean on there in that gimmick looking like that. He looks like a star, unfortunately. All he had was the look, and that's pretty much where it ended for Damian Demento. We go to Mean Gene and the Royal Rumble Report. We get a promo from Bret Hart. He acknowledges the, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, the Razor Ramon Own Hart incident from Mania. The Steiner Brothers cut a promo. They're now part of the WWF as well, yet they haven't made their in-ring debut yet. However, they already have a match signed for the Royal Rumble. It's announced the Steiners will be taking on the Beverly Brothers. So the Steiners get a match at the pay-per-view and don't even have to wrestle first to earn that position. And then, of course, 16 names announced for the Rumble at this point, including Crush. And we'll talk more about that later in this episode. Money Incorporated. DiBiase says uh, during that promo that it doesn't matter which one of them win because they'll both make all of the money. You can take that to the bank. And last year's winner, we hear from Ric Flair as well during that Rumble report. So we're only at 16 names now here in the first week of or the beginning of 1993. And we learned that the Steiners are wrestling the Beverly's on the undercards. Well, it was very cool to know the Steiners were here. Were you privy to the Steiners prior to their arrival here in the W? It's kind of funny how they arrive at the same time. Lex Luger does. I'm, I'm sure I seen some shows with them on there. Uh, my friend, like I said, I had a friend that watched all WCW and um, he made me aware of these guys. So like when he, he watched the pay-per-views with me too. So when, Lex Luger made his debut. He's like, oh, man, that's Lex Luger. He, he's awesome or whatever. And he, he he taught me on the Steiners, too. So I, even if you didn't really watch WCW, when you see some of these guys come in, you kind of just assume. Like, these guys ain't scrubs off the street. They're coming right. from somewhere. You can just tell a difference from some of these guys. You can tell the guys that came from WCW compared to Mondo Cleans of the world who just come <laughs> off the independence. Um some of these guys just look different than others, and the Steiners are definitely one of them. Uh, so I was excited to see them. I was excited to see them in WWF for sure. Right on. 
We close out the show with Crush getting a win over David Siegfrieds with the Cranium Crunch in 2 minutes and 39 seconds. It's during this match that Doink the Clown returns to ringside, messing with kids in the aisleway, squirting water on some older ladies in the crowd. Uh, Crush, with an insert promo actually during the match, however, wishes everybody a Happy New Year, brah, and talks about the Royal Rumble, his chance to prove that he is the best. Crush looking forward to getting into the Rumble match, winning the Rumble match, and going on to WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, or the first Royal Rumble, where the winner goes on to face the champion at WrestleMania. Crush had a great look. He had uh, great size, but he just seemed to lack something. And I can't put my... Yes, I know he wasn't a great promo, but it wasn't that. I just, I don't know. Was it his inability to sell? That may have something to do with it. He, he, did Crush ever bump? Think of, like I can picture and envision people in my head. Almost everyone taking a bump, even you know Yoko's bumps. Crush, I, did he ever even bump? I mean, maybe that had something to do with it. I just don't see Crush doing uh, selling or, or bumping for anyone. Yeah, I can't recall. I don't. I didn't pay attention to Crush like that. Right. Um, I do like. I just Crush. meant he was around uh, so long. You know what I mean? He was around in different incarnations and things, and that's why it's so odd that I can't. I can't pinpoint it. Because I even dug, you know, like some people probably didn't like his color scheme. I even thought that was great. <laughs> so I, I like the color. I even like him when he goes heel doing or heel crush. Um, yeah. The purple and all that. Uh, his one at Royal Rumble 95 is awesome with the red mixed in. But uh, not, uh, to be honest with you, he just feels like one of those guys that just wasn't meant to ever get to that level. Uh, I believed him when he went into King of the Ring as an IC title contender, I thought that worked. I was fine with it, mm-hmm. but I never really felt like he had an opportunity to win that match, to be honest. So I don't know. It's one of those mysteries. Like what happened was, what was up with crush that caused him not to get over to that point where the size says he should be something more than what he was. Well, crush has been here back in the WWF, not counting his demolition days since God, it's uh, been at least since the, the spring, maybe the early summer of 1992, and he hasn't done a damn thing since he's been here. No feuds, no storylines, no angles, no nothing. And finally, they place well, that's him about in. To change. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's exactly where I was going. Crush tries to leave the ringside area when he notices Doink playing these pranks on the ringside fans. So he confronts Doink, who has some kind of a a spring ball, like a ball with a rubber band or something on it. And he throws it towards Crush, and it bounces back to Doink instead doing it to the fans as well, but then he does it to, to Crush, and Crush has seen enough. He grabs Doink by his arm and jerks his arm up in the air, and Doink's pointing to his arm. Oh, you're hurting me, Crush. There's actually some pictures I put on, on our social media pages of this angle, and Crush threatens Doink, basically in a babyface way, kind of. Um, threatens Doink that you better leave these fans alone, brah. And as we close out this episode of Superstars, Raymond Rougeau with a quick interview with Crush, and I don't know how you can't... <laughs> shit on this one crush obviously you were not amused by the clown's antics what did you tell him well first of all raymond i happen to know a little bit about clowns okay my grandfather was a clown and he worked very very hard to make kids and everybody laugh and he was a pleasure to be around this guy he does nothing but hurt people and the only person laughing is him okay now the wrestlers picking on the wrestlers playing jokes on the wrestlers was bad enough when he started picking on the kids brah he stepped way out of bounds now, I've given you a very, very stiff warning, and I hope for your sake, you'll take my advice. That's it, bro. My grandfather was a clown, bro. I don't know who told him to say that, That's but it, he, he could have he fucking 
made this point without without saying that. If they if he hadn't said that line, it, I may have taken this halfway seriously. My grandfather was a was a clown, brah. I don't know about that. <laughs> maybe maybe it could have been. If that's a factual um, statement, then I I fucking I take everything I just said back. But something tells me that's not a true story. Yeah, no way to find out now. But um, <laughs> it wasn't bad. I'm with you. Like, take out the grandpa part, and you know he's telling a good story. You don't mess with the kid. Pick on somebody your own size, and um, that was about it. That's what he was trying to say. He could have just said that and saved some time. We move on to WWF Wrestling Challenge for January 3rd, taped back on December 15th in Madison, in Madison, Wisconsin at the Dane County Coliseum. We got Bobby and Gorilla on commentary, so that's always fun. We kick the show off with Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels taking on Jumping Jim Brunzel. And it's funny because I actually remember this match. It was, it was fun times. I remember sitting in my living room watching this match. And my grandma was not a wrestling fan. She wasn't anti-wrestling pro wrestling. She just, it was just something that she knew that I watched basically 24 hours a day if I could. So she learned guys over time, uh, the boss man, the warrior, brother love. They always got a kick out of whenever they saw that on the screen. And Shawn Michaels. And she knew of the gimmick, so she kind of, I think she kind of got it. And she wandered into the room while this match was going on. And there was a p- point in this match where Jim Brunzel nails his, his old dropkick, the, the big dropkick, uh, his old finisher, and nearly pinned Shawn Michaels, and my grandma got a big laugh out of that. Like So it even lured like you know the non-wrestling fan in the story they were telling, and you didn't even have to know really you know what was going on. It, it was just funny to her. So I just have that fond memory in me in here. So the match does go a little longer than your typical squash. It was Jim Brunzel, after all. He locks in his sleeper at one point, which was another finisher he used back in the earlier part of his career. Uh, gets a near fall in a cradle and the drop kick, as I pointed out. So Shawn Michaels giving Brunzel a few spots here. But it's the super kick, a terrible super kick, by the way. Brunzel runs into a super kick to the gut. And Shawn Michaels still makes the cover rather than you know, like calling an audible and doing another move. So super kick to the gut. Very sloppy. Shawn Michaels picks up the win here in about five and a half minutes. Yeah, decent back and forth action between the two. Jim can always give you a decent match, especially when he, even when he was a jobber. He took the role serious because I think he knew he was there to help elevate guys and make them look good, and that's what he did here. So um, good work by both guys besides that shit uh, crescent kick. We move on with the show. It's the Narcissus promo again for Wrestling Challenge, and we go back to the ring. Tatanka gets the win over George Podrovsky with the uh, Samoan drop, the Papoose to go, the whatever the fuck else they were calling it at different points in time. In two and a half minutes, uh, Petrovsky was the former Russian brute in the AWA in the dying days in 1990. That was the last thing they had to throw up against Sergeant Slaughter, and you wonder why he jumped to the WWF. Uh, during the match, we get an insert promo of Tatanka, who is also ready for the Royal Rumble match, and Doink again in the aisle here on Wrestling Challenge. So Doink is all over the place. Tatanka picks up the win. We move on. The event centers here discuss the headlock on hunger, which I saw quite a bit of the, the promos for that on raw and even some of my syndicated stuff and mania also leading into this. It was very different. They'd never really built a show like this at the Madison square garden and promoted it nationally. It's almost like those old Omni show cards they promoted on, on TBS back in 89. What did you think of, of some of these, like the way they built up headlock on hunger? Like, did it excite you for this? Like, it felt like there was a big show coming, and then we never got to see it, basically. <laughs> I, I never really, I didn't really care. You know, I 
uh, it was a big deal because it was the American Red Cross and they were working with them. So you felt like it was a big card and it was going to be big for those guys. You kind of wish you could go. I remember I always lived in New York. I would go, that sort of stuff. But it, it was different to see for sure because you just didn't see it. Normally you just saw your local promos, but they really they pushed the shit out of this Headlock on Hunger stuff uh, leading up to the MSG show at the end of January. So um, good on them to help some people out, I guess. Show goes on. It's Bob Backlund picking up a win. Unover babyface returning Bob Backlund with a win over Dale Wolf here with a banana split hold. Two minutes and 47 seconds. During the Backlund match, we get a promo, our first of hopefully many promos, from one fellow who thinks he can win the Royal Rumble. His name? Virgil. Earlier on, we talked to Virg. Royal Rumble, 29 of the toughest superstars in World Wrestling Federation and myself. I have a shot just like any of them, and I'm going to take mine because I want to meet and WrestleMania 9 the champion because I'm determined and I am definitely ready. Do you think Virgil, or as Gorilla calls him there, Verge, do you think Verge realized he said there are going to be 29 of the toughest wrestlers in the WWF and me? Do you think he meant it like that? I just, I love Virgil promos. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> Probably on some good shit by that point. At this point in the show, we get a video hyping up the Bret Hart Razor Ramon title match. Up until this point, there's no real story behind it other than Razor's coming for the gold. Razor's only been here, what, six, eight months in the company, and he's already getting a title shot here at the Royal Rumble. I don't know if that says a lot. Now, the story, the rumor is, I don't know if you ever heard this, this was supposed to be Bret versus the Warrior. I don't know if Warrior would, I, I've heard two different ways. Warrior was supposed to turn heel sl- shortly after Survivor Series. Uh, going into this match, or maybe it was supposed to be Baby versus Baby, but the original plan was Bret Hart versus the Ultimate Warrior. So, in a matter of you know a few months here, Bret's going to get screwed out of a Warrior match and a Hogan match. <laughs> I'm assuming Warrior was supposed to go over. You know that I don't have an answer to. That's a good, that's an excellent question. I mean, I never even thought of it that way. I, I, it's you know that's that makes you know all the sense in the world knowing Vince though. I guess in my yeah, mind, I, I just assumed Bret was going to. over, but yeah. Yeah, and think about this. You could have almost done another Warrior Hogan, God forbid, in 93. I mean, that would have... I mean, obviously, 93, you don't really want that, but... No. <laughs> man, uh, and that would have been that would have been something. Um, I don't know what it would have been. It would have been interesting. Well, take your pick, but... Warrior and Hogan, Warrior and Yokozuna. Holy shit. What could have been? <laughs> that could have been okay, I think. I think that could have been okay. Just let Yoko control the the offense and his rest holds and get your warrior come back stiffing with go. some clotheslines and uh it wouldn't be bad it's promo time raymond rujo out on the stage talking to kamala harvey whippleman and kim chi although although it's no longer the same kamala says kim chi and harvey whippleman who now apparently always abuse kamala they beat him like an animal and they treat him like trash and it's purported by the fucking commentary that this has happened all along Though we haven't seen it until now, at least out in, on TV, uh, Kim Chi likes to manhandle Kamala, and Kamala's just taking the beating out here. He's trying to think for himself, and I don't think the heel managers like that. Uh, they refer to Kamala at one point as, or I should say Harvey refers to Kamala at one point as a stupid, ignorant, backward savage. Wow. He also says that Kamala has no brain of his own. He will listen to a slap to the head or a punch to the face. Jeez, talk about outdated, Steve. Reverend Slick shows up, though. 
He's not an animal. Kamala is a man. Remember this angle? He's a human being. He needs to be treated with respect. Kamala is hesitant to leave with the slickster and leave the heels that were his manager and handler. Kimchi then slaps Kamala and gets him to leave with them. The crowd chanting, you are a man in support of Slick's uh, chant with the crowd. They want to see Kamala make the baby face turn over to the, uh, the, the light side, I suppose, with the Reverend Slick. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah, nothing special here, man. I, I, I thought it was funny uh, as a kid. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, they're turning him face, whatever. But Kamala never really did anything for me. I, haven't, I can't say I've seen his work with, what, Memphis or with Lawler. Right. Didn't yeah. Lawler come up with him? So yeah. um, Lawler, and I didn't really see anything with his feud with Hogan and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, I've seen some of it, but not like the TV or the the promos that build up to it. So uh, all I really seen was comedy Kamala, and it, it is, is what it is. It's kind of, like you said, it's very, very outdated. Uh, uh, that leads to the and, first and time. Where, the first time I'm going to ask this question, and I'm certainly not going to, it's not going to be the last. Will this segment make the peacock? <laughs> probably probably <laughs> so we move on with the show it's bam bam bigelow over piece of shit buck zoomhoff with a diving headbutt diving headbutt in two minutes and 23 seconds during the match we get an insert promo from the big boss man who is also on his way out of the wwf but first he has to wrestle bam bam bigelow at the royal rumble pay-per-view for those of you wondering why i call buck zoomhoff a piece of shit just google his name we can continue on with the show. It's the Royal Rumble Report. We get promos from Bret Hart, The Macho Man, The Undertaker, Yokozuna, Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect, Jerry Lawler. Talk about a who's who. This is when I made a, a specific post that really trended on Twitter. I, I noted that when I once I started seeing these promos, people shit on the 93 Rumble quite a bit because it's it lacks star power. And I'm not going to argue that overall, especially because of the way they they have the guys come out. There's a lot of the lower tier, lower level players in the final 10, 12 guys in the match. But yeah. I put up four pictures. I put up, I think, I, I know I put up Taker and Yoko, or maybe you know, it was Yoko and Perfect and Flair and I think Lawler. I purposely left Macho and Taker off there because I thought people would remember those and they would go, what about Macho? What about Undertaker? And they did. It worked. And that was my entire point. You can say what you want, but this is not necessarily the most lackluster roster of all time. And that's just, you know, six of the names. There's some other solid players, too. So I thought, in hindsight, going back and looking at it here, it had more bigger names in it than I, I initially remembered. I think the booking hurts this one because pretty much all these guys are outside of Yoko and Savage. All of them are <laughs> gone, you know. Uh, in the first half of the, sh the of the match, so uh, you had the angle of Flair and Perfect, and then Flair's almost gone almost immediately right afterwards, or Perfect's almost gone right afterwards. Lawler was a part of that; he got dumped rather quickly. So, I mean, the star power was there. It's just it was all bunched together, and then you finish it off with guys like Coco Beware, Owen Hart. No knock on Owen, but at this point, uh, I think he's just. I mean, he's been tagging with high energy. So Tito, who's pretty much done at this point. Uh, Damian Nemento, Irwin. So, I mean, there's just not a lot of names there towards the end. So by the time you get to the end, it's just like, damn, where's all the good names at? Right. <laughs> so that booking of the, I mean, I guess it makes sense. That match, I think it's one of the first, well, I can't say it's one of the first rumbles, but it's one of those rumbles where it's pretty much two different matches put into one. Right. You know, you got the first 15 people, then you got the last 15. And yeah. it's like two different stories. Right. 
I agree because of some big big bomb that Harvey Wilpelman's dropping on Drop us. Drop the bomb! Yeah, we'll get to that here for this episode. So <laughs> we close out this episode of Wrestling Challenge. Though it's the Steiner brothers making their in-ring WWF debut over Red Tyler, one of my personal favorite jobbers of that era, and WT Jones. It's the top rope DDT on poor Red Tyler to end this one in two minutes and 41 seconds. During the match, Scotty hit the old rolling belly-to-belly from his old NWA days on WT. Gorilla calls it a gut-rich suplex. Rick Steiner also busts out the old uh, Buzz Sawyer power slam on Tyler and the nasty Steiner line. Uh, Also during the match, Scotty with a dumbbell underhook uh, powerbomb. And, of course, like I said, the top rope DDT ended it. Lots of old, familiar Steiner moves from 1989 here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think it lasts. I mean, it does, but not to, not like this. And no. Do, I don't, do they use that DDT anymore? Uh, I know good question. Few matches after this one on it's, today's show, uh, they did not do this or get anywhere close to this move. <laughs> so, yeah, I have no idea. I don't see uh, wonder, DiBiase or, or Irwin uh, agreeing to take the move. Other than that, I don't know that there were any other teams they wrestled they would have done it to. It's crazy, too. Like, they, they have this one, and then they finish one with the Frankensteiner, and they finish one with the Bulldog off the shoulders. So I'd have to imagine. They're not Vince, doing the same thing over and over. Right. I'd have to imagine Vince saw this. He's like, yeah, um, don't do that again. That's that's. <laughs> I'm just guessing, but I can see that happening. Well, according to Scott Steiner, and I don't know how trustworthy he is. I don't know why he would lie about it. Um, but I think somewhere I saw where they asked him about their run here, and he's like, Vince wasn't really there. Everybody was just kind of there doing their own thing. And he wasn't as hands-on as everybody makes him out to be during this time just because of the steroid trial. And his mind was everywhere else but what was going on on TV. So he's like, I didn't really interact with him very much. He wasn't around much. And uh, it was kind of just go do your thing. So it definitely could have happened early on. But probably by the end of middle of the year, nobody really gave a shit what they were doing out there. Yeah, and I, you know, and that's what I touched on in last episode too. Of the grenade was just the the lack of storylines or anything going on uh, coming out of 1992. You had perfect and flair, and really almost nothing else. The nasties and money Inc. kind of were in a feud, but you know that was kind of dying down as well. So it's a rough patch here. They're not really working very hard to put on new stuff. Well, they are now. They're starting to gear up for uh, some new storylines here, as we see. Real quick, I'm going to talk about All-American for the weekend. It didn't air here in the United States, but uh, Richard Land, the Landman, was kind enough to send over a quick clip of a UK exclusive All-American. Imagine that All-American airing in the United Kingdom and not in America. Uh, For January 3rd, one thing stuck out to me there. It was the Battle of the Heels. I don't know if I'd ever seen this before. Repo Man wrestles Papa Shango. Don't get excited, though, Steve. They do absolutely nothing but a chin lock. And then it goes straight into a double DQ four minutes into the match when Repo grabs his, his toe ra- or his toe rope and Papa Shango goes and grabs his staff and they, they stand off. And that's pretty much the end of the match. So nothing match, but kind of cool to see Papa Shango, the Repo man in the ring together. Interesting. Definitely 1993. <laughs> yeah. We go on WWF primetime wrestling, the final ever episode of primetime wrestling, January 4th, 1993. It's in a one hour format here this week, hosted by Vince McMahon, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby, the brain Heenan. They're sitting down uh, just in a random studio area. Gorilla blames Bobby Heenan for the demise of primetime's ratings and praises Vince McMahon for no Bobby on Monday night. Raw. We'll see how long that lasts. We go back in time throughout the 45 minutes here and we see memories from primetime wrestling memories past. Not a whole lot. It wasn't really well done. They did find a few 
old old uh, video segments to show. And throughout the entire show, it's really Gorilla and Bobby on commentary during the matches. And instead of really putting anyone over the matches, and you'll see why in a minute, depending on who's involved, they just hard sell the participants in the Royal Rumble pay-per-view instead. So this is just a really big shill for the end of primetime, the beginning of Raw, and the upcoming Royal Rumble. Nothing really to see here as we kick things off. It's the Head Shrinkers taking on Virgil and El Matador Tito Santana. And as they come out to Virgil's music, Gorilla says, I prefer Tito's music. So I got a kick out of that. We go into a commercial break and it picks up exactly where we leave off on primetime. I noted here that Virgil sucks as Fatu lands a back suplex on Virgil for not cooperating whatsoever. I love this segment in the match so much. I went and grabbed it. I spliced this out and I put it on social media. So head to YouTube, head to Twitter, wherever you are. And check this out. Virgil is not cooperating with Fatu, and he gets dumped on the back of his head for his troubles. Uh, Samu, later in the match, misses a corner charge, and Virgil lands the hot tag to Tito Santana. But Afa trips Tito up during the El Paso do Muerte. And once again, the Shrinkers get the heat now on Tito Santana. Fatu telegraphs a backdrop from to El Matador, and Tito drops down with the old gold dust uppercut. That was interesting. I've never seen Tito use that before. And now it's a hot tag to Virgil, who nails a double noggin knocker on the head shrinkers, but they no-sell it and beat his ass, you moron. It's the Fatu flying splash that pins Virgil in 9 minutes, 37 seconds. Yeah, not a bad match. You just knew it was where it was going. Uh, I got the head shrinkers over. It was pretty good. Tito can always get some good heat in a match, so uh, it was all right. We move on. We see terrific Terry Taylor get a win over Dale Wolf here with an Arn Anderson style spine buster and the doctor bomb in three minutes and 25 seconds. You can hear a fan during the match crowing like a rooster. I noted. Also, did you get a look at Terry Taylor's jacket and trunks for this match? Never wore it before. Never wore it again. I don't know what he was doing. Trying to move away from his typical Terry Taylor attire. Let's try to say that three times fast. But, oh, my God, this looked terrible. This is I don't even know where he got this from. Yeah, I have no idea either. It was like a giant T covering Terrific and Taylor right on his ass. I didn't really see the jacket. but uh, Oh, my God, the jacket was like it, a it white, cheap jobber jacket with rainbow-colored Terry Taylor written on it. It would look like if, if Bedazzling existed back then, That's it, that would have been an upgrade. Yeah, I, yeah, and I again, don't know what he was doing. I, I know by the time it gets to Raw, like, it's just black trunks. Right. So It just – it. I, I was really shocked. I don't even remember ever wearing this, and I don't think he ever does ever again, and I know he hadn't before. It was just really odd, and I posted a picture of this. I grabbed screen caps. I couldn't help but do this, and I saw a lot of people uh, retweet this one, too. It really blew a lot of people's minds. Nobody really remembered this. As the show goes on, Bobby Heenan again with the first Narcissus promo. We get another Royal Rumble report with Mean Gene Okerlund, and it's Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels taking on the 2021 version of Shawn Michael, no, sorry, it's Skinner. Same difference. And I thought this was a very random heel versus heel match again. So we saw Papa Shango and Repo Man a little bit ago. Now it's Shawn Michaels and Skinner here. And Skinner, the de facto babyface, which makes it even more crazy, as he still does the heel moves, but he's getting a little more cheers than Shawn Michaels. Shawn does some good bumping for Steve Kern here. Skinner makes the comeback, tosses Shawn Michaels over the top rope to the floor, but Sean slides back in th- underneath Skinner's legs, turns around right into a super kick. Shawn Michaels picks up the win, four minutes and 36 seconds. Yeah, another decent match. Um, not bad. It, it was weird seeing Skinner play the face here for a little bit. 
he's pretty damn funny in real life. I don't know how many shoots or whatever you listen to or if he just doesn't care anymore. But, man, he did a signing for somebody on, on Facebook, and, my God, he was cracking me up. He's a very, yeah, very Steve, funny guy. Yeah, Steve Kern has always been um, very outgoing. No surprise Yeah, he's there. like, better get your autograph now. I could fall over dead in 30 minutes. And I guess that was the running joke for the entire, like, two or three hours that he was on there signing was, better get him now because I'm going to start – I'm going to fall over and die, and they're going to be worth hundreds of dollars. So, uh, very, very funny guy. So that was our final unique match on primetime. We do get a replay from Challenge of the Steiners over Red Tyler and W.T. Jones as we close out the final episode of primetime in a very lackluster way as Jameson joins the show. He has a special presentation for Bobby Heenan, an award for Bobby's time on primetime wrestling. He calls it a corny. It's actually just a corn on the cob. They do a little comedy bit. I put air quotes around that. And Jameson's grossness chases the brain away as we end the final episode of primetime and we prepare for Monday night raw at this point, uh, I found an old, uh, an old match that aired overseas, an international exclusive, if you will. It was actually a Mr. Perfect match over terrific Terry Taylor with the perfect plex in eight minutes and 10 seconds. That was taped back on January 4th. I'm not going to always mention these international exclusives, but I just thought this one was interesting because we will see Mr. Perfect wrestle Terry Taylor again here very shortly. We go to Superstars for January 9th, taped back on December 12th, 92 in Green Bay. We kick things off with a clip from last week's Wrestling Challenge, the Kamala You Are a Man segment, as we go to the ring for action with Kamala, still with Kim Chi and Harvey Whippleman, with a win over Todd Becker with the splash in a minute and a half. Uh, Vince McMahon refers to the treatment of Kamala as abominable. All of a sudden, like I said, these, this manager and this handler, if you will, are, are now physically abusing Kamala. We'd never seen this before until like a week or two ago, but clearly they needed to insert this in order to give a better reason as to why Kamala needs to make the baby face turn here. So they have this poor 400-pound beast backed into a corner. They're treating him like shit, and here he comes again. It's the Reverend Slick to stay, save the day. He gets in the face of Kim Chi, who sucker punches Slick and takes him out. This only upsets Kamala, who finally makes the babyface turn. Turns on his handler, nails Kimchi with a big chop, sends him over the rope to the floor, and chases Harvey Whippleman out of the arena, presumably. So Kamala makes the babyface turn here on Harvey Whippleman and Kimchi, who you may know better as the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah, pretty decent segment. Um, the crowd was into it, I felt like. I don't know if it was piped in or what, but it was time. Uh, you, don't, you don't want to drag this out too long. He nailed the chop, um, the brawler there with the chop, and then obviously chased away uh, Harvey Whippleman. So it, it was solid. It was a nice little angle. wasn't bad. Yeah. So up to this point, they haven't really completely ruined Kamala just yet. That'll change almost immediately, though. We move on with the show. It's update time from the pages of the World Wrestling Federation, Federation magazine. They talk about the recent uh, happening over on WWF Mania, which had just made its debut earlier here this morning an hour before Superstars goes on the air for me anyway. Mania aired at 10 a.m. Eastern on the USA Network, and the first exclusive angle on Mania took place during a Raymond Rougeau-Owen Hart interview. Ray just began interviewing Owen Hart about the upcoming match between Razor and his brother Brett when Razor Ramon attacks the Rocket and puts a beatdown on him, leaving him laying on the ground in the locker room so they're getting a little heat now. It's a little bit more than just about the title now. They're adding a little spice to the Brett and Razor match for Royal Rumble. Yeah, this is a great angle. I remember um, 
I got the pre-show and I taped it and this was on there uh, on the pre-show for the Royal Rumble. So I always I've seen it a lot. I thought it was great. It was a great clothesline <laughs> in, in the chair and Owen sold it great. Just a very good angle, I thought. Show goes on with the Steiners making their superstars debut over Rock Warner and Butch Banks with the Frankensteiner in three minutes and 13 seconds. During the match, I was watching the moves and I wrote, I don't know if the WWF is ready for the Steiners because as you pointed out, they're still doing all their moves at this point. So they haven't, I don't know that they ever get watered down, but yeah, I don't know if these job guys are ready for the Steiner brothers compared to what they're typically used to taking here in the WWF. A lot of familiar moves here from the WCW days of the Steiners. These poor job guys never had the chance. The Steiners pick up their first win on superstars. And after the match, we see Raymond Rougeau in the aisle trying to have words with the clown as all we know him as at this point. He's going to interview the clown later in the show. But first, we have another message from Bobby Heenan regarding Narcissus. Hey, Mr. Perfect. I heard you're asking questions of the other wrestlers. Hey, who is this guy, Narcissus? What do you know about him? Is he truly beyond perfect? Is it possible for anyone to have those qualities superior to mine? (laughs) Well, let me answer your questions, Mr. Perfect. Comparing you to Narcissus would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Now, I know horse manure has its place in this world. Even perfect horse manure. But perfect, there is only room in this world for one human being that is truly anatomically perfect, that is physically and mentally superior beyond imagination. Why, Ric Flair and I both agree that Michelangelo could not capture on canvas the stupendous qualities of Narcissus. He could not sculpt from marble the metamorphic qualities of Narcissus. Why, Narcissus is so beyond perfect It's like he's from another galaxy. So, Mr. Perfect, when you see me unveil Narcissus at the Royal Rumble, you are going to think, if you can, that Narcissus is from another world. You probably couldn't ask for someone better than Bobby Heenan to build you up (laughs) prior to your debut with the company. Yeah, definitely not. I have a comment later on because I know we get to like three or four of these different promos, but right. he did an excellent job of basically saying, go hype Lex Luger as the narcissist. And he comes up with four bangers, really. I mean, you know, and that's the kicker. The I love the last one. Yeah. And that's the kicker, too, is they didn't have him come in four different times to cut these promos. He cut these promos back to back to back to back. And none of them are the same. They're all completely different. It's all off the cuff for the most part. I'm sure he had some ideas of what he wanted to say. And, of course, we get our very first uh, ice cream to horse manure here, comparing Luger to Mr. Perfect as well. Uh, yeah, we'll be listening to the other two sound bites as well before this episode ends. We'll move on. We'll talk a little bit more about Narcissus as the show goes on. Back to the ring. It's Lance Cassidy, who some of you may know is Steve Armstrong from the old Southern Boys tag team. Here he's billed from Texas. He's a Texas cowboy. Picks up the win over George Podrovsky here with the Bulldog in two minutes and 51 seconds. you have any thoughts on Steve Armstrong here in the WWF? He's gone as quick as he came, huh? Well, that's pretty much, uh, yeah, that's the way it worked. Uh, you know, I mentioned last week, uh, on last week's episode when I talked about Lance Cassidy, Steve had quit uh, by, well, he didn't quit 
he quit, uh, I think around the, somewhere between January 6th and the 8th. So it was mostly due to just the travel. He wasn't used to that type of travel, but some also say that he um, wasn't happy with the push or whatever you may call it, but he wasn't there long enough to really receive a push. From my understanding, he may have actually, you know, done a little more. Vincent may have had uh, some ideas for him. I guess Vincent found out he could sing, and he was thinking about contemplating making him a singing cowboy. I don't know how well that would have got over, but at least it would have been something Vince would have laughed at for a few months and maybe pushed to some degree. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, this wasn't meant to be, but watching these matches back, and this particular one, this bulldog where he whips Petrovsky face first into the corner and he kind of bounces backwards into the bulldog, it just showed me that, yes, Steve's on the lighter side, but and Tracy's bigger than Steve. How great would it have been when they have a depleted tag team roster right now? Almost no tag teams in the company. If we had seen the the, uh, the wild-eyed Southern boys arrive here in the WWF right here. Oh, that would have been excellent. I, really, I mean, I, w- I was going to say, like, his bulldog was really good. A lot of the times, I don't know if it was the jobber or what, a lot of times they get their knees down and then it looks ugly. And this one, the guy laid out flat for him and he got it pretty good. So uh, takes two to tango. And so I know it's both of them, but the Bulldog actually looked good for once. Uh, so um, very, very well done. And definitely there is no tag teams in 93, really, besides the Steiner brothers and the Quebecers. And uh, they could have definitely helped. It's just not a gimmick that Vince would use, I don't think. The only negative I have to say about Steve Armstrong or, or Lance Cassidy is that he quit because that enabled Max Moon to be rehired, at least for the short term. So damn you for bringing Max Moon back into my life here in January of 1993. We go on with the show. It's promo time. Raymond Rougeau with the clown up on the stage with his arm in a sling after being manhandled from Crush last week on Superstars. We learn that his name is Doink. I got to tell you, Steve, even as a kid, I wasn't, I wasn't buying into that name. I was like, really? Out of all the names, it could have been Doink? I don't know. I just, I know when you, in hindsight, when you look back, it's just the name and that's just the way it is. Just like when you see certain actors play in a movie, that's just the way it was. You can't envision someone else replacing them. But I just, at the time, watching it in real time, I thought the name was uh, not the best choice. But hey, what, am I, what do I know? So... As the promo goes on, we go back in time. We see some clips of some of the pranks Doinks played on some of the wrestlers. He tripped the boss man with a wire across the guardrails. He hit Tatanka in the face with a mop. He threw water on Marty Jannetty, and he put down the banana peels for old old man Bob Backlund. I believe he's at 43. Uh, poor, poor old Bob Backlund here slips on the banana peels. But Raymond Rougeau tells Doink that clowns are supposed to be funny, but nobody is laughing at these pranks but Doink. That's when Doink says the line of the entire promo. He says he likes to put smiles on kids' faces and take those smiles away. And Rougeau basically tells Doink that he's sick, at which point Doink then has another laugh at Ray Rougeau's expense, squirting water into Ray's face to close out the segment. So we've learned that the clown, his name is Doink. We've heard him talk now, and we get it, we get it especially with what's, what's to come here shortly. But we now realize completely, 100%, that Doink is definitely a heel. Yeah, absolutely. So it was pretty cool. I, I didn't mind the name. I thought it was cool. It, it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I like the idea. Uh, he's just out to have a good time at his own expense, like everybody else's expense, and that's all that matters to him. So clearly a hill, and it's really going to get established in about a week or so. Yes, the evil clown shall return 
as we go back to the ring, it's The Undertaker with Paul Bear over Scott Zappa with the tombstone in 2 minutes, 45 seconds. We go back to our Royal Rumble report. This is where we learn that Shawn Michaels will defend his Intercontinental title against Marty Jannetty at the pay-per-view, so I was excited at that point. But Sherry is going to also be making her return to the WWF as part of this match, but Mean Gene sells it as if, what side of the ring is Sherry going to be on? Shawn Michaels says Sherry's. There's no doubt that she's going to be with old HBK. Marty Jannetty has his own idea. January 24th, the Royal Rumble. I'm going to call it Marty Jannetty Day because that's the day I'm going to get everything I want. I'm going to capture the Intercontinental Championship. And more than that, I'm going to end the career of you, Shawn Michaels. And you're talking about Sherry being in your corner. You know all about Sherry. Well, maybe you don't know Sherry as well as you think you do. Uh, the reason I grabbed that soundbite is I talked to you about that Sean and Jim Brunzel match earlier. I remember this specific promo for whatever reason, too, going back in time. I just remember him talking. He's saying, I'm going to name it Marty Jannetty Day. I always thought that was kind of cool. And then uh, he basically tells Shawn Michaels, you think you know Sherry. Maybe you don't know her as well as you think you do. This is where the seeds are planted. You, you wonder now, well, Marty's a baby face. He's not lying to us, right? So what is going to happen? Where is Sherry going to be when that match takes place? Yeah, this is the one they showed on the pre-show. I probably haven't memorized. I probably <laughs> spouted it off a hundred times. So <laughs> it's one of my favorites, too. It's probably his best promo he ever cut, ever, uh, for the most part. I thought it was really well done. It talked about everything he needed to, and he really got you behind him. Like, he's going to call it the whole day after himself uh, because he's going to do what he wants. And I um, thought it was pretty good. Definitely different. We also see the addition of six more names to the Royal Rumble match. We hear from Mr. Perfect, uh, Mr. Fuji with Yokozuna, and we also learn of the six new names added. One of them is Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and the reason I bring that up, Steve, is because this is the only week Hacksaw's name is announced as being part of the Royal Rumble match. And The reason for that is there's a taping that takes place shortly before the Rumble, and they make the decision to pull him from the pay-per-view match because of the big angle coming up with Yokozuna that will actually happen before the Rumble. And usually, as long as it's not aired on TV, the old WWF story goes, then it didn't happen yet. But with Yoko and, and Duggan, I think they made the right call by pulling Duggan back out of this match because whoever saw this angle take place prior to the pay-per-view, they would have never believed in the business again had they seen Duggan show up at the Rumble because the match hadn't aired yet on TV. So good call there. So Duggan, for one week anyway, it almost makes you feel like, did they make this decision at the last minute to do the Duggan and Yoko angle? Because why announce them at all? Just for one week. And then just quietly remove them and replace them with Virgil. That's interesting. I don't know why you would even put him in. You know how big that angle is and the devastation that it's supposed to be about. So uh, why even take the time to announce him? I think he gets one more promo. Maybe, I don't know if it's this week or next week, but I know he gets the same promo. It's not a new one. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I heard him c cut a promo and I was like, Duggan was in the match? When? I don't remember him in the match. <laughs> so right. uh, it threw me off because I didn't I didn't remember this part of... Uh, it's been quite a while since I watched Superstars or Challenge from 93. I've watched Raw, but I don't think he ever got announced on Raw. I could be wrong, but definitely interesting. And we close out this episode of Superstars with Bam Bam Bigelow over Red Tyler with a diving headbutt in two minutes, 26 seconds. During the match, we get another insert promo from the big boss man who has dealt with guys like Bam Bam Bigelow in the prisons for years. Boss man says he's ready for the Bammer at the Rumble pay-per-view. 
we move on real quick. I'll mention this because it is the debut episode, after all, of WWF Mania I mentioned aired on January 9th. It's the first episode. So Todd Pettengill now, the host of Mania and the newest member to the announced team, and the if that's what you want to call it, to the WWF. And during that show is where they originally aired the Razor Ramon Owen Hart attack, as well as an exclusive match with Jim Duggan over the Repo Man. So Repo Man all over these exclusives, as you'll find, Steve. And the reason I'm mentioning this is I posted this on all of social media, but it was one hacksaw Jim Duggan who found this video and retweeted it on his own account on Twitter. So I want to thank you, Mr. Jim Duggan, for retweeting our video of you picking up the win over the Repo Man as part of WWF Mania. Yeah. Thank you, Hacksaw. Appreciate it. And while we're here, when we see the Razor attack on Owen Hart, we get some post-attack promos, is the best way I can put it. Razor Ramon comments on what he had just done to the Rocket, and Bret Hart responds to what happened to his little brother. Oh, Hitman. Razor understands you're a little upset because I slapped your little brother around. <laughs> it's personal now, Chico. Yo, Bret Hart at the Rumble. Chico, you're next. Let me tell you something, Razor Ramon. This won't be the first time that I'll have to pound out some bully for picking on one of my little brothers. But let me explain something to you, Chico. When you step in the ring with me, the excellence of execution in the Royal Rumble, I'm going to show you that I'm not just a good wrestler, that I'm a tough fighter, and I'm going to pound the daylights out of you. So, Bret Hart going to pound the daylights out of Razor Ramon. Bret hasn't really found his uh, niche yet in the uh, promo skills. But he look, he's looking for revenge now. So it was about the belt before, but now Razor's made it personal. Yeah, they play that promo out for like the next two, two or three episodes of the show. So, uh, no, definitely, uh, I think Brett even mentions it. He's like, it was about the title, but you had to go and beat up my brother like a little scum that you are. So um, <laughs> You're scum. The, uh, you got to lift the barrel up to see you, Razor Ramon. Yeah. Yeah, we get that on Raw. He's the bottom of the barrel and all that. So the, the typical breast stuff, but it it helped the match. I, th- I felt like it added something to it. It was actually a really good angle to get your new show over because they hyped this all over syndication. So Steve, i got to be honest with you. I'm if, not saying uh, it's never happened. And, I mean, I can go back to that prime time when, when the Brooklyn Brawler attacked the Rooster and all that shit too. But it wasn't very often that you saw out of nowhere attacks, especially backstage. Really, you didn't even see backstage shit back in back in this era. This was this came out of left field. This entire it was only a two minute segment. When I cut it and I put it on social media, I couldn't believe how short the the entire segment was from beginning to end with the Owen and Razor attack. It was huge for the time, and Owen was a lower tier player at this point. You got to remember with high energy, they were basically like lower a lower tier tag team. It's still, it was huge. It was just like, wow, a guy attacked another guy out of the blue. Very cool stuff, though. Yeah, and like I said, uh, they hyped this during syndication, so you're trying to get a new show over. It's like, oh, damn, this happened on the new show. I got to be sure to tune in because what am I going to miss next time? So job well done all around. Like I said, it got some heat on the on the match, and um, it was definitely unique and different for the time. So it was a breath of fresh air, and you, you'll get that a lot in 93, uh, a lot of different stuff. Not necessarily like in wrestling, but just in the WWF, you don't, you never seen before. Yeah. Very different. Things are a change and they're trying some new things and that'll include raw when we get to that in a little bit. But first we're going to go to WWF wrestling challenge 
for January 10th, taped back on the December 15th in Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to fly right through this episode, but first I'm going to talk about the Nasty Boys. Coming out to the ring, defeating the team of Spike Jones and David Siegfrieds in 3 minutes and 41 seconds after what they at one point called the two-part death drop. That was the Knobs Power Slam and Sags Elbow Drop. Tell me, do you feel like Sags is purposely just falling off the top rope onto these guys, or can this guy just not stand on the top rope? Because there was a few of the there's a few of these nasty boy squashes here. And on more than one occasion, it's like he just falls off the top rope onto the guy and really does some damage. You're asking the wrong guy. These guys are shit. Yeah. Uh, they made <laughs> sure to. I'll put my to, notes down. Uh, shit offense, pit stop, ugly elbow, and this one's over. You know, what really got um, me was they made sure to do the pit stop to both guys in this match because they're just assholes. And I don't know if it was this match or one of the other nasty squashes, but in instant replay, you actually see Knob spit in his hand and then rub it in his underarm before they put the job guy's face in there. Just a couple of pieces of shit, if you ask me. The only thing good I can come out of this match was Sags was the first guy I ever saw do a pump handle power slam. And he was the only guy to this day that I think ever did it right. Like he elevated the guy up almost over his head with the move before dropping him. Unlike Rhea Ripley in that God awful version she does where she barely picks the, uh, the opponent up past her hips. Yeah. That's probably the only credit the nasty boys are going to get on this show. <laughs> so well, they won't be around. Too you can long. have it. Yeah. Well, they won't be around a whole lot. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Although I didn't mind babyface nasty boys to be honest with you, compared to the the heel run in the WWF, I've, I've never been a fan of them ever. Uh, there's nothing that they've ever done that I've been interested in watching. Oh, you gotta watch get their ass by teams that are better than them. Halloween Havoc '90. At least watch that. That's good. Well, it doesn't mean I'm watching it for them. Oh, right. I got you. I got you. So we move on with the show. It's the special report recapping the Owen and Razor fight. Yokozuna. Gets a win over Chad Miller with a bonsai in 2 minutes, 34 seconds. Crush to the ring over Tom Stone with the cranium crunch in two and a half minutes. I noted at this point, I saw Bill Alfonso has arrived here in the WWF, and for good reason. We, we'll get to that at the uh, Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I won't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but Bill Alfonso has arrived in the WWF as one of the newest referees to the company. We get a, the Superstars promo with Raymond Rougeau interviewing Doink the Clown. Marty Jannetty with a win over Tom Bennett after the rocker dropper and fist drop. Two minutes, 36 seconds. A replay of the Narcissus promo number two. Another Royal Rumble report with interviews from the Steiners, the Big Boss Man, and the Macho Man Randy Savage. And we close out challenge with the Head Shrinkers, accompanied by Afa, over Scott Colton and Carl Almont. Fatu with the big splash gets the win there in two minutes, 42 seconds. I wrote this match, this, this squash match was so fun, is basically how I described it. I loved watching the SST, the head trigger, whatever you call them here. They were uh, really good at one point here in the company. Oh, yeah. They were always entertaining. They're just great workers, man. They're, they know what to do. They're not they, – you can tell they've been trained. They grew up in it. Uh, they know what's up, and um, they've been trained well by Alpha and Sika. So you, I can't tell you a bad thing about most Samoans that, that are in the wrestling business. They're all very entertaining and very good, to me anyway. Yeah, this Nothing is definitely – now, this is definitely one of my favorite incarnations of any of the Samoan teams that have come through the pike. But like you said, most of them were damn good. So what, what can you what can you say? Uh, I noted during this match, it was odd because Afa was eating a sandwich. Now, usually he's eating a fucking carcass or, or a fish or something like that. But in this instance, he was eating a sandwich. And Bobby Heenan, I don't know if this is Bobby Heenan calling it audible or what the deal was, but Bobby Heenan noted it was a raw sandwich, as in like the meat on the sandwich was raw. 
So I don't know if Bobby Heenan got fed that line. He, not that he needed to. He was a pretty clever guy. But it just seemed odd that Afa's usually out there eating like raw animals. And he was eating a sandwich this week, like something on bread. So Bobby Heenan saves the day and explains to me that it was raw meat on the sandwich. <laughs> Sounds like Bobby. We go on for the weekend. All-American for January 10th sees Marty Jannetty over the Repo Man. Again, the third exclusive match involving the Repo Man already. <laughs> he can't make it to the, the main shows, but man, he's all over these uh, exclusives. Doing jobs, mind you. Marty with a crucifix. The match was joined in progress. Just four minutes was shown. Probably for the best. And then, Steve, it's on to Monday Night Raw! The debut edition of Monday Night Raw, January 11th, 1993, from the Manhattan Center. Give me your first take on seeing Monday Night Raw. Uh, you knew you was watching something special. You didn't necessarily know what it was going to be or what it was uh, at the time, because this just wasn't something uh, you had back then at all. I don't know anywhere. Everything just was assumed taped. I know NWA liked to kind of make it to where they felt live. But obviously they weren't. I mean, they were hyping house shows on the same day that they're airing their Saturday night show. So, yeah, these guys are in Detroit right now, and they're live wrestling in Georgia. So how are you going to get there in time? It just felt different. It felt fresh. It felt new. And like I said, you just knew you was a part of something special. I, I, I enjoyed it. This is the first show that I watched religiously. I didn't miss any episodes. I never watched the syndication. I mean, I may, I may have been up and play, turned it on, flipped it on. But for the most part, the weekends, man, I was always playing with friends or outside. I didn't, I didn't sit there. I didn't watch TV hardly at all growing up. I didn't watch cartoons. I mean, I watched some Nickelodeon game shows. But other than that, I was outside playing most of the time or playing Super Nintendo. So, But Mondays at 8 or 9, whatever it was, depending on your daylight savings and all that crap, I was tuning into Monday Night Raw, and I don't think I think I missed one episode. So um, this was the show that got me hooked, where I was watching weekly wrestling, and this was it, really. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a different feel. It was live, which was uh, different from most of the WWF product. Now, I'll be honest with you: at that time, I didn't understand the difference between live and tape. Yes, I know what live and tape means, but I never went into superstars thinking this wasn't live. No, I didn't think that an arena was filled up at the same building weeks on end at 11 o'clock in the morning, but at the same time, I never really cared if it was live or, or tape, but it's, it's a, just a different feel here on this live show. And not only that, like the arena completely different from anything else we'd ever seen up until this point in the company. So it was a completely different feel. And uh, just like how nitro was for WCW, just a completely different look than anything we'd seen before in WCW. That's how raw was here for the WWF. As we get going, it's Sean Mooney out on the streets of New York city. As Bobby Heenan is trying to get into the building. He wants to be part of Monday Night Raw, damn it. But it's sold out and Bobby can't get inside. The story here is just Bobby's selling what a hot ticket, what an important thing Monday Night Raw is, and he can't be a part of it. And it's killing Eaton, or Heenan, and we'll see him try to sneak his way in a few times throughout this show. We go to ringside with our announced team of Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and some guy named Rob Bartlett. For those who don't know Bartlett's background, he was, uh, you know, I, well, I'm showing my age here because I don't haven't followed Howard Stern in years, but there used to be a guy in there for decades named Jackie the Joke Man Martling, and he was kind of like the comedian and the sidekick of Stern. And that's kind of what Rob Bartlett did for a guy by the name of Don Imus, anybody that knows Imus. And Vince took a liking. That's how Todd Pengel got hired. 
Vince heard him. He thought he was great. He brought him in. Todd didn't know anything about the business, didn't know anything about wrestling, and hired him on the spot because he sold him, I think, a bottle of water. That's what he asked him to sell him. Uh, Rob Bartlett, I don't think he had to sell anything. He just showed up. That's how Jameson came about. Vince saw him in a nightclub, thought loved the, loved the Jameson gimmick, and hired him. So it's, uh, it's crazy, Vince McMahon's sense of humor. But he brings Bob, Rob Bartlett in, and once again, it proves to backfire here, if you ask me anyway. Yeah, he sucked. <laughs> to say the least. And it's, it's pretty telling, too, by the third episode of Raw. Like, we'll talk about that at the end of the show, but there's no way they didn't tell him to just shut the hell up and don't ruin this match. Uh, when it came to perfect and flair yep. and yeah, it was easily noticeable. Um, yeah. And I think they even asked him like, Rob, you're being quiet. He's like, I'm just enjoying this tremendous match. So he sold it. Like that's probably his best line that he ever had, uh, to be honest with you. But yeah, he was the dumps and, um, it's kind of interesting how they just, how they write him off. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I actually grabbed some sound bites here. So bear with me, Steve, as we listen to some of this, I'm sure you've heard it a hundred times, but it never gets old. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. Of course, they're selling their slogan, uncooked, uncut, uncensored. They only say it about 400 times here in this first episode of raw, every chance they get basically pointing out that raw's live. It's not censored, which changes shortly, but here it is. It's raw live. And it's clear. Bartlett was told to hype the Coco versus Yokozuna match because Vince puts over one of the matches on the show. Macho man puts over one of the matches on the show. And then Bartlett has to talk about Coco. Beware taking on Yokozuma, the guy with the diaper. So it begins almost immediately as he also mocks macho man's. Ooh. Yeah. As the show gets going, we go to the ring. It's Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji in his corner, taking on Coco. Beware. During the match, Yoko tosses Coco around, Ware tries a few drop kicks but doesn't really get anywhere, and does the old spot where he runs at the guy, the guy sidesteps, and Coco eats the ropes. Uh, Coco never took a hot, nobody took a hot shot better than Coco Beware giving one to himself. We always talk about Eddie Gilbert doing the hot shot as a finisher. Steve Austin had the stun gun, but I don't think anybody gave the move better than Coco to himself. <laughs> hell of a seller, huh? Yeah, hell of a bump. Uh, he gets up there in the air and just ugh, right across the throat every time. But Yoko, he eats it. yes, and Yoko looks good here with the big leg drop, the corner, the running butt splash into the corner. And then, yes, of course, the bonsai. And I don't know if you caught this. When he climbed up to hit the big butt drop, instead of yelling bonsai, he yelled busty. And then hits the Yokozuna bonsai drop, picks up the win there in three minutes and 45 seconds. First match in Raw history, unless they had a dark match. But um, now very cool. Yoko's did great. I mean, obviously Coco wasn't going to get anything, but not a decent, but not a bad match to start raw. Before we get going with the rest of the show, I grabbed three Rob Bartlett sound clips. The second two are fairly short. The first one's a little longer because I, what I did was I went in and I grabbed every stupid thing he said uh, from the intro as well as the Yokozuna match. And I lumped it all together. So just bear with me guys. We're going to play a brief excerpt of some of the stupid shit. Rob Bartlett said over the course of the first eh, 15 minutes of the show. There's a great match. I can't wait to see this. Coco Beware versus Yokozuma. You know, the guy's got that diaper thing going right up there in the middle between the dead man's land and no man's yeah. land. And Macho! It's Damien Demento. Ooh. Is my favorite, The Undertaker. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. What a matchup. You know, I often wondered whatever happened to Gary Coleman, Vince. <laughs> he grew up. Yoko should spend a little less time at the sushi bar, a little more time at the salad bar, Vince. 
And as the Macho Man said, he has thus far not even been knocked off his feet, much less undefeated. He hasn't or seen his feet in quite some time. <laughs> well, that's a good point as well. Yokozuna. That's one big-butted Oriental, Vince. Uh, in a matter of speaking, yeah. He's got an ass like an amphitheater. Woo! I heard that. I heard yeah, that. This is Monday Night Raw, folks. It's uncooked. Uncooked. Un and uncensored. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Vince, don't regulations indicate that Yokozuma should be wearing a bra? Uh, not uh, here in the World Wrestling Federation, and certainly not on Monday Night Raw. Oh. I imagine this man could do almost anything he wants to do. What you talking about, Yoko? Apparently, there's no Japanese word for leftover, Vince. All right, Rob. Oh, what do man. you think? Huh? I think if you just skip a few lunches, you wouldn't need to do that headlock on hunger. Yeah, That's well. the squashola. <laughs> so Vince brings this guy in to do comedy. That's what he's there for, the comic relief. Uh, the Bobby Heenan without being a heel, basically, but he doesn't understand that when you come out here to do comedy and you're making fun of all the storylines, all of the wrestlers, you're burying the entire promotion, all the company. You're doing no favors. No, he did nobody favors at, at all there. That last one was pretty funny though. Yeah. He had a couple <laughs> good lines in there, <laughs> but unfortunately it was, a, yeah, the Somalian, yeah, the uh, headlock on hunger. He had another one in there too, that I, yeah. I, I, I had a little laugh at. Maybe it was the big butt, butted Oriental. I don't remember, but in general, I just, he's burying these guys. He's not taking anything seriously. That's obvious from the get go. And yeah, they're trying to sell these. Problem with it. Yeah. It's like a comedy. You know what it reminds me of is 1950s wrestling on TV when they would go get the sports announcers or the local news guys to come do the show. And they just, it was a joke to them because it was fake. And they would just sit there and make fun of it the entire. So if you go back and watch a lot of 1950s shit with commentary, you'll notice most of those guys are just making a mockery of, of most of the stuff going on in the ring. So it's just kind of reminded me of what Rob Bartlett was doing here. Just He was just a little more uncensored, if you will. Yeah, terrible. As the show Crazy goes on. He made it past Mania. Yeah, I, could, it Mania. I, I can't believe he made it more than three, four weeks, to be honest with you. I would have pulled his plug right then. I would have pulled it. <laughs> Something happened to Rob Bartlett after our first ever commercial break. I don't know where he went to, but he's gone, pal. If it was 2020, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, <laughs> we get our first glimpse at a Raw girl who's carrying a boxing card, for lack of a better term, holding up the Monday Night Raw sign. I'm sure it said something along the lines of, I like it raw, or something of that nature. She's carrying the card around in her skimpy little outfit. So we'll see Raw girls for the next, I don't even know how long this goes on. Eventually, even the Rosati sisters get in on the fun. We go to the Bobby Heenan Narcissus promo, number two. Back to the ring. It's the Steiner brothers now on Raw taking on the Executioners, Pain and Agony. You may know them better as Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. As Doink the Clown is in the crowd having some fun, we get our very first What a Maneuver on Monday Night Raw when Scott Steiner does the Tilt-A-Whirl Slam on one of the Executioners. And it's total destruction throughout the match. Gill and Hardy sometimes don't even know how to take some of the spots. At one point, Scott whips one of them off the rope so hard they fall into the ropes. And it's the top rope bulldog that gets the win for the Steiners. Three minutes and one second. I noted there was not a lot of jokes here from Rob Bartlett. How do you make fun of this? You can't. I, he seemed almost impressed at one point with his response. Makes you wonder if somebody told him, you better watch what you say with these two. Because <laughs> they'll kick your ass. There ain't nothing you're going to do about it. So, well, he seems um, to want to have fun with the characters you can make. You can really make fun of almost any wrestling, especially in the WWF wrestling character. But the Steiners are 
He tried making fun of their tights when they got in the ring, I noticed, but after they started doing the moves they were doing, I think he, he shut his mouth. Yeah, I think he said which one's in the earmuffs. Uh, I do know he said that, but right. um, yeah, trash. We'll listen to Rob again real quick. Now, who's the one with the headgear, Rick or Scott? He's not a racist. He's a goofy clown. I don't like him. That's Dork the Clown? That's Dork. What a name for a clown, Dork. Past Sunday. Hey, Mo! Hey, Mo! <laughs> the following contest, scheduled for one fall, is for the Intercontinental Championship. That's a Tatanka, by the way. About to yeah, enter Rob. the ring is the challenger. The name for Buffalo, right? Thirty-eight pounds. <laughs> Here we go, it's Robo Wrestler. Here from New York City, where you could wear an outfit like that in the subway and not get a second look. <laughs> Don't forget, folks, coming up soon, the WWF's version of the Amy Fisher story, Pin Me, All right. starring the sensational Sherry as Amy, Vince McMahon as Joey Buttafuoco, and Bobby the Brain Heenan as Mary Jo. <laughs> I think you just did uh, rub the name for yourself real, yeah, real, real time. Stay tuned later on here, folks, live from New York City. Mayor David Dinkins versus Cardinal O'Connor. <laughs> you missed it during the break, folks. Shawn Michaels pulled a knife. <laughs> Stop it, Rob. Stop, I'm sorry, Stop. I'm sorry. It's not that raw. In a telephone, and, he, and he's watching Monday Night Raw. Perhaps. Hello? Hello, Vince? <laughs> Is that Mike? Is that you? Yeah. Hi. How you doing? That's Mike Tyson. Yeah. All right. We're gonna cut it there. I'm not gonna listen to two minutes of Rob Bartlett in person doing a terrible impersonation of Mike Tyson with some very unfunny jokes uh, throughout the Intercontinental Title match upcoming. But those are just more some more of the nonsense. And uh, I love when he when they come back from commercial break. He said, "You missed it during the commercial." When he said, "Shawn Michaels pulled a knife," you know, it's like, "Wow, dude, God." Yeah, Vince is like, cut it out. Stop it. Don't that did not happen, pal. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I don't think he realizes that this is TV, and that could have got some heat on Vince with the company, you know, with the TV network. Did he really pull a knife? This is live. We don't know what's going on uh, during commercial. So um, to me, even if he stupid, didn't, it's just thinking. implying that. It's just, you know, it's just somebody fucking taking yeah. this again like a joke. Yeah, like. It's all fake, so if he pulled a knife, who cares? It's fake, right? So, um, yeah, just he's horrible. So after the Steiners match, we're back outside with Sean Moody, Mooney, uh, and Rob Bartlett's aunt shows up trying to get in now, but we learn it's actually Bobby Heenan and Drag trying to sneak into Raw, so that's a no-go. As we go back to the ring promo time, Vince McMahon in the ring talking to the bad guy, Razor Ramon. Razor says it took Bret Hart eight and a half years to main event, headline, and become the world heavyweight champion. Well, Hitmang, you may be the main Mang, but Razor Ramon is going to do it in eight and a half months. He mocks squashing Owen Hart back on Mania. He said he did it for fun, and Bret can't do anything about it. He then flicks his toothpick at Vince McMahon, which I enjoyed. So Razor Ramon, funny. he tells the Hitmang he is not the main Mang anymore yeah pretty solid promo here i like how he said uh what took you eight and a half years i've already gotten in eight and a half months and i i caught you already so it's kind of um, sad but I know true. Put, in, in a way they I pushed mean. that <laughs> they pushed that a few times uh coming up here but uh this is uh this is the first time you heard it and um really good 
Yeah, but that just really shows you where the roster and where the company is right now, that a guy can be there eight months and they're already having to throw him into. Because I felt the Razor main event for Rumble was rushed. Like, I don't feel like they'd built him to that level yet. So it just felt like it was happening too soon for me. Uh, so it's it's kind of funny. But yeah, it's only took him about eight months in the company's headlining, so to speak. Uh, the world uh, title. If you look match. around, uh, if you look around, there's only there's no heels that were in a main event type match. No, at all. Left. There's nobody left. Yeah, Flair's gone I mean, he, here. He <laughs> was in this. He was in the Survivor Series. So uh, with Flair and then the perfect Macho Man match. So he was there. I mean, he was, that's a main event match. That's what sold the show. That's what I'm saying. Um, he um, he's subbing Warrior. So there, and he's basically the only that, one sitting there. There, there. Yeah, there's nothing left. I don't know who else you go to. That's yeah, that's a scary thought, really, to be honest with you at this point. Uh we go on with the show. Yeah. It's a Tatanka promo as he talks about the headlock for hunger. It's actually the headlock on hunger, Tatanka. Vince then mentions a fellow by the name of Mitch Ferrat, who was actually part of the offensive line for the Buffalo Bills going into this year. He scored three touchdowns in nineteen ninety two as part of the O line. Think about that. And he made all three Super Bowls, 1990, 91, and 92. The guy actually died. I had to look him up. I don't know what happened to him. He died in 2008 from heart disease. The reason Vince mentioned him during this upcoming match was because apparently he was on his way to wrestle for the WWF. Of course, this is the one and only time his name is ever mentioned, and it never comes to fruition. So uh, that was a no-go, but I'd always wondered for years whatever happened with that. Uh, who knows? Show goes on. You may have heard clips there of Rob Bartlett during this match. It's Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels defending against Max Moon. You have to wonder if this may have been Lance Cassidy had he not quit because Max Moon was only brought back because Steve Armstrong quit and they needed somebody to sub him on the house show loops. And, of course, everyone knows, as if you listen to my last episode, Steve, um, Max Moon was actually Paul Diamond, who known Shawn Michaels going back to San Antonio. They teamed up even long before Sean was even partners with Marty Jannetty. But Paul Diamond, who also was Kato in the Orient Express, was fired from the company just a few weeks before this for having an affair with Tatanka's wife. I don't know what Tatanka was doing bringing his wife around the business. He should know better than that. And yeah, so Paul Diamond messed around with Tatanka's wife and got fired. Unfortunately, they didn't hate him enough not to bring him back a couple weeks later to replace Lance Cassidy. So here on <laughs> Shawn Michaels gets to wrestle. I can't call him his friend, but he's always had good matches this with the, with the, the Orient Express. Yeah, well, I mean, I do remember Shawn came out of retirement one time down there in the TWA, and this is this is who he wrestled as well, Paul Diamond. So he brought Paul Diamond in to be a trainer for him at the as the academy or whatever. Right. So him and Diamond are pretty close. Um, but one thing I do got to mention, oh, well, that's crazy that he did that with Tatanka's wife. He felt I, he did a signing, too, uh, recently, and they was kind of talking about his career and stuff a little bit. And he did mention um, it felt like the Max Moon character was starting to take off, and then he got, he got let go, unfortunately. He didn't really mention why. We all know why. But uh, I, 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 it's just, I don't know. I don't know why you bring your woman to wrestling unless she's in the business already. She probably has really no business being around because they're not the most uh, trustworthy and respectful type of people around, you know? No, and to be fair, a Um, lot of, I'm not saying this is the case because I don't know Tatanka's wife or ex-wife or whatever she is at this point, but a lot of these girls that got with these guys were ring rats. They had already been around and been with several other guys, so it's not like you can necessarily trust them. And I'm not, again, I don't know this lady. Maybe she wasn't that, you know, that, that was the case here, but 
It's just not a wise idea. Yeah, who knows? Definitely not. I wouldn't. But before you get going here, I do got to mention, I don't know if you noticed this, and I never noticed this until, again, he had a signing, so he pointed this out, uh, his, this match here. But uh, when he comes down, he does his, you know, he shoots the fire out of his thing, and he had his hand in the air to do it, but it didn't go off. So he moves his hand down, and the fire shoots off and, like, singes the eyes of the cameraman. You can see the cameraman. He falls down because that thing doesn't go off where it's supposed to, so he thinks it's a dud. So he puts it down, and then it shoots off, and that camera guy falls off the platform or the stairs, wherever he was at. And uh, you can see him getting up, and then, like, the fire does go off eventually. Oh, good, good catch. See, I've never, I've never noticed that. That's going to definitely be a video. I'm going to go grab that and uh, throw that up. Yeah. Uh, they, they do the wide angle from like the top of the balcony. So you can see the whole ring. You see everything. I thought he was full of shit because I never noticed it before. And then this is the first time I watched it since I heard that story. And uh, sure enough, I'm looking at it and there it goes. Fire <laughs> shoots the cameraman. And then his little, t- his little bad blaster gimmick type deal. Those things go off without a hitch, but the actual fire, the damaging stuff, right into the cameraman. So, um, yeah, very interesting. So my notes on this match were both guys had about a five-second entrance. They're, like, rushing to the ring to get this match going on. Basics, but solid back and forth to start. We go through a commercial break. Sean takes over with a, a snake eyes across the top rope. I guess, like, a snake eyes into a hot shot. This is where Rob Bartlett turns into Mike Tyson for the rest of the match, and Oh, second half of the match, to be honest with you. It was, it was terrible comedy from Rob Bartlett doing Mike Tyson in prison. Uh, Max Moon catches a uh, drop kick and turns uh, catapults Shawn Michaels out of the ring to the floor, then does a running seated press off the apron onto Shawn Michaels outside, goes back into the ring, does that corner spin kick, and then a rolling Samoan drop. Moon then misses a somersault senton, runs into a super kick, and the teardrop suplex by Shawn Michaels gets the win in about 10 minutes. Yeah, that's a pretty good match. I didn't mind it. Uh, Max Moon did some decent offense. Sean sold well for him. You could tell there's some rapport there. These guys worked before. So um, uh, he was, it seemed like he was, he was comfortable giving Moon some offense. Um, I know they probably were told they had a little bit of time. So could put on a decent match. And I'm sure he had no issues uh, giving uh, Max Moon some offense there. Show continues on with the Royal Rumble report. Then Sean Mooney once again outside. This time, a fellow by the name of Uncle Morty Feldman, apparently a Jewish fellow by the name of Uncle Morty Feldman, tries to enter the Monday Night Raw arena in order to see his nephew, Rob Bartlett. Once again, though, it's noticed, or Sean Mooney, what a detective, uh, the beard of Uncle Morty falls off and Sean realizes it's Bobby Heenan trying to sneak in yet again. And uh, I, I had to laugh, though. Uh, Bobby Heenan, some lines in here. He, t- he told Sean Mooney, I don't know if he's talking about Sean Mooney or if he was talking about Rob Bartlett, but he calls him a, a good bagel. So just doing the, the Jewish character here is Bobby Heenan, a good bagel. <laughs> good stuff. Show goes on to actually reveal the upcoming Raw taping schedule, January 18th and February 1st. Noticeably absent was January 25th because that episode won't be live. We then see the Kamala babyface turn recap from the weekend. As we go back to the ring, the big main event of the show is The Undertaker taking on Damian Demento. And the gong goes off too early before Demento's uh, announcer, uh, for the introduce Demento. So they actually get a big pop for the D- Demento entrance. 
This was the fastest Undertaker entrance in the history of Undertaker entrances. I couldn't have loved this anymore. You hear the gongs and all of a sudden the Undertaker's already on the steel steps. It was tremendous. I didn't have to wait for that to go down. Demento, it was absolutely awful here. Awful bumps everywhere. It's like he had never been in a wrestling ring before. He didn't know how to sell anything. It was atrocious. And this match only went two minutes and 25 seconds, Steve. The Undertaker picks up the win with the tombstone. I wrote, good luck, but no wonder he didn't get pushed. Uh, It was not good. Yeah, it was bad. He looked like shit. And I don't know how you can really do that in two minutes and 25 seconds, but he figured out a way. We're going to listen to Rob Bartlett one last time here on this episode of The Grenade. We're going to hear what he has to say about The Undertaker. There's not much to it, but we're going to listen to it anyway. This guy looks like he got his hair cut during a power surge. (laughs) And take a look, ladies and gentlemen, the phenom known as The Undertaker. Get your hair out of your face. You have such a pretty face. So we're supposed to take this Undertaker character very seriously. He's a scary man. Bartlett's out there making silly jokes about the Undertaker's hair being in his face. He also, during the match, talks about Paul Bearer needing iron supplements and uh, the urn being in a martini shaker and the Undertaker's gloves prevent him from dishpan hands. He does this while the Undertaker's setting up the tombstone, mind you, so Vince has to ignore it. That, again, leads me to my point. Why hire this guy when you're either explaining away his silliness or completely ignoring it to put over what you're trying to get over in the ring. It's not helping the the product at all, which goes back to your question. How did he make it through mania? Beats the hell out of me. It's kind of like Art Donovan after like the second match, Savage and Gorilla just ignore everything he says. And uh, it's like, they wish they could get out of it. Um, But it's too obvious on a pay-per-view where you just can't send a dude packing no matter how much it needs it. But, um, uh, they do this for three months. Yeah, I don't know how he lasted so long. Where you're just ignoring week. him. You're just wasting air. Yeah, that's it. that is what they, that they what they wind up doing. You actually will notice that as the shows go on. He'll start saying things and they don't even respond. That's really weird yeah. shit. So we learn next week Papa Shango's going to be on the show, but he won't because he has a separated shoulder. Also, this is your comedy of the week. Mia Farrow versus Woody Allen in a steel cage. Of course, the story there is she was uh, blaming Woody Allen for uh, sexual abuse at that point. So that was their comedy. Sexual abuse was comedy in 1993, Steve. And we close out the show. Vince McMahon ringside with a promo with Doink the Clown. And Doink tells Vince, if you're not amused with his antics, then that's your problem. Crush had warned Doink, and Doink said he would do the same to Crush as he does to the fans. That brings out Crush, brah. And he said he will put both Doink's arms and legs in casts if he continues to do what he's doing, both to the fans and, I guess, to Crush as well. And at that point, Doink pulls out a squirt gun and squirts Crush right in the face. And that's when Crush begins chase around ringside and eventually gives up. He must have ran out of gas and just rolls into the ring to stare at Doink, who drops down onto the floor outside laughing his ass off. I wrote, why did Crush stop? Doink was laying there right for the pickings. I guess it wasn't part of the script. Crush may regret that by by this coming weekend. But Doink, again, continuing to screw with Crush. And even though I remember this when I watched it, you never remember this. When you start thinking about the angle that's coming up, you never think about this leading into At least I don't. No, that's all. I only only remember the the angle on Superstars. Right. This does. You do remember like him grabbing his arm. So he's pushing in a sling. Right. I, I do like the fact that they extended this over a week period 
you know, instead of rushing, he grabbed him by the arm, and then the next week they had him in the sling, and right. then the next week we get the angle. So slow build. You did this. That happened yeah, back slow then. Slow build over two weeks, which was nice. Um, you didn't expect anything. He just put his arm in a sling. You knew right. it was from crush gravity. Like he's just being, a, he's just playing a joke. Right. And uh, all laughing's over at that point. Like this is when the Doink character just took off major heat and things like that. Where he's just becoming a more, instead of just what, running around, like it's crazy. They got this to last since November, October, October, November of 92, where he's just walking around in a ring is doing nothing. And he finally gets in the ring in January. So, uh, kudos to them. That's a slow build for sure. Doink's about to take off here. And Raw takes off, goes off the air anyway. The show ends with Bobby Heenan begging Sean Mooney to let him into the Manhattan Civic Center. Mooney finally agrees to let him in, but nobody told Bobby the show was over. And that ends the first episode of Monday Night Raw. And it's funny, when the show got going, you talked about Coco and Yoko being the opening match, unless there was a dark match. Well, there were a couple dark matches. One of them, listen to this, Damian Demento versus Bob Backlund. Can you imagine? You walk in, you sit down, and the first thing you're treated to, and I use that term very loosely, is Damian Demento versus Bob Backlund. Backlund picking up a win on Demento by disqualification in seven minutes and ten seconds after Demento wouldn't, wouldn't let Bob off the ropes while he was beating on him. So what a what a great way to kick off a night of a wrestling action. Demento and Bob Backlund. Sounds like shit. It was shit. And we move on to the next week in WWE Superstars, January 16th, also taped back on the 14th of December in Green Bay. We kick things off with a Bret Hart promo. Bret says he's seeking revenge for his brother Owen. When he defends the title against Razor Ramon at the Rumble, we go to the ring. It's Razor over piece of shit Buck Zumhoff with the Razor's edge in only one minute and 11 seconds. It's time for update with Kamala, who is now turned babyface. He is a man. We get a promo with Kamala and the Reverend Slick. It's followed by Harvey Whippleman, who talks about upcoming kimchi versus Kamala matches. Boy, I can't wait for that to get to my fucking arena. And Whippleman also promises that he is coming to drop a bomb. And it's funny, they never mention this again after this week uh, until it happens here. So it's only like a week they don't mention it, but I remember this, I'm going to drop a bomb promo when it aired, and I remember thinking they never followed up on it until they do. Again, it's only a couple weeks later, but you're trained to expect it quicker, I guess. So again, it was more separating things, leaving you guessing, kind of like the Doink Crush stuff. Yeah, yeah. Bobby does a great job during the Rumble selling it too. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Bobby does a great job. He's like, remember when Harvey said he's going to drop a bomb? That's the bomb. There you go. (laughs) That's right. Action goes on. It's the Nasty Boys over Rock Warner and future referee Mickey J, or you may know him as Mickey Henson in the WWE. They do the spit stop, I called it here, because this must have been when he actually spit in his hand and rubbed it in his underarm. Disgusting. And they nail their finisher for the win in about three and a half minutes. We learn during this that the Nasty Boys are now in the promo, and we get a nasty... Uh, insert promo uh, discussing what they will be doing. And if it comes down to them too, that would be nasty. You got that right. Promo Raymond Rougeau this week with intercontinental champion, Shawn Michaels. They talk Shawn versus Marty at the rumble and what corner Sherry's going to be in. Shawn asks, would you corner with a brutal Marty Jannetty, the man who smashed the mirror over Sherry's head or the man she's madly in love with Shawn Michaels. Sean says he carried the Rockers, he carried Marty Jannetty, 
And at the Rumble, he's going to carry him out one last time. So basically, Shawn Michaels cutting a basic heel promo. It's just setting up the Rumble. Show goes on. Here it comes. It's Crush taking on W.T. Jones with the Cranium Crunch gets the win. Two minutes, one second. During the match, we get an insert promo again from Crush putting over the fact that he's going to win the Rumble and go on to WrestleMania to main event for the world title. Only that's not going to happen. Doink, we see ringside with his arm in a sling, as you pointed out again. And he's in the aisle. He's offering flowers to people. So when Crush exits the ring, Doink tries to extend friendship by handing Crush a flower. Crush is hesitant at first, but finally takes the flower and hands it to a fan. But what he doesn't see from behind is Doink is removing his arm. As Vince McMahon said, did you see him take his arm right out of the socket? My God, Vince. Even Bobby, of course, and and Lawler, of course, in classic Lawler fashion, he took his own arm off. So they're selling it at first. You can clearly see he has two arms. But Vince, in usual Vince fashion, goes, did you see Doink take his arm right out of the socket? Uh, Vince overselling anything and everything here is Doink takes that lead arm out of the sling. He's pretending all along, Steve, and proceeds to beat the living crap out of Crush in the back of Crush's head and his shoulders with the fake arm, I guess what you can call it. And they lay Crush out and they do the stretcher job. Didn't see that very often either. On WWF TV, they apply oxygen, they get him on the stretcher, and they eventually wheel him out to the ambulance throughout the uh, course of the show. And they really sold this by having the heel Lawler, who laughs at everything the heels do, becoming serious and saying that this was even too far for him. Yeah, he did an excellent job selling it, talking about how it went too far, and then he talked about concussions and those sort of things, head trauma and how that can make you paralyzed. I think when he was getting put into the ambulance. Like, it's nice that we're seeing his hand move, but there's a possibility that you can get paralyzed from the waist down. And we haven't really seen his legs move. So he took it serious. He didn't joke on it. Thank God they did this angle on superstars instead of raw with Bartlett. I can only imagine what he would have done. Oh my God. Um, but no, some of the things that I remember, I remember when the first time I seen this, as soon as they, he blasted him in the back, they cut to this girl in the crowd and she's like, She's like has her eye, her head like squinted, and then she's like, "Ooh, like oh shit, like that's a, that was a shot." Like her reaction to it, just added to it. She has, she has no idea what's going on as far as this is about to happen or whatever. It's just authentic, and that's somebody's initial reaction to what they're doing, and that's how impactful it was. You've never seen this type of stuff very often in the WWF, so that was a natural reaction, and it, to me, it always enhanced it. It's like, man, look at that girl's reaction. That's what you want to see. You want to see those, those reactions, and it's perfect. And this this angle was really good. I, he got some good shots in there. Some of the thuds and just the sounds just sound bad. Yeah, this is an excellent angle. Yeah, I wouldn't put anything past Matt Bourne, who was uh, the only good do- doink. Uh, it's funny that the good doink was a heel doink. Uh, but Matt Bourne, was, he really uh, welcomed this character, and he really took – I mean – you know how Luger plays himself as the narcissist? I think Matt Bourne was a little bit of this doing character in real life. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the way he played this character and the way this character is portrayed, it, it takes a special kind of nut job to be able to get it over like he did. And so he bought in completely. And man, uh, I wish it lasted longer than it did with Matt Bourne. Oh, God, yeah. It's a shame they, you know, returning them. Well, we got months before that happens, but no, I agree. Uh, masterful was Matt Bourne in this character. 
The show goes on. A bunch of squash matches. This is Yokozuna over Carl Almont with the Banzai in a minute and 45. We get the Rumble Report. Of course, the winner goes on to Mania. We get promos from Virgil, who has replaced Jim Duggan, quietly replaced Jim Duggan as part of the Rumble match. And the reason I know that is because they just sneak him in in the middle of the already announced opponent or entrance versus the new names that they uh, announce. We also already learned the Nasty Boys were part of it. Well, here are the final names added to the Rumble. Skinner, Repo Man, Damian Demento, and High Energy Steve. Wow. They say you could tell that they didn't know what they were doing with those final spots. They certainly wouldn't have thrown all these names out at the last minute, all these uh, lower-tier players at the same time. What's funny is I actually went back and watched this twice because I kept counting 29, even though Mean Gene kept promising it was 30. It wasn't, and I'm counting Crush at this point. So they never actually announced more than 29 wrestlers for the 1993 Royal Rumble. So who's the guy that comes in that we didn't know about? Well, we know Virgil replaces Duggan. I would have to imagine Max Moon replaced Crush, which would just leave the Terry Taylor spot, the best I can tell, which is probably why they didn't even bother announcing it. They didn't know what it was going to be and didn't give a shit and fucking went to Terry Taylor in his 22nd ass. Fair enough. And I, don't, I think this is too early for Gene to announce that Crush is out of the Rumble, but it's safe to say he's no longer part of the Rumble match after that attack by Doink and the stretcher job. So there we go. Ver, uh, Jim Duggan was announced for the Rumble last week. This week, it's Virgil in his place. We go on to Vince McMahon, who again talks about Crush as we see that ambulance as he's headed to a medical facility. And the commentators, like you pointed out, they were talking about seeing his hand move, but not any of the lower extremities. And they were really selling this hard. They were uh, very monotone, very serious. We didn't get a lot of this back then, so it was very different. They seemed concerned. They commentated over the entire ambulance uh, shots, and uh, they did a really well job selling this. Um, at the time, I didn't really know what the hell was going on. But, hey, man, for a clown versus a, you know, a big giant Hawaiian in, in neon colors, I thought they did a hell of a job selling this. Uh, me too. It was it was very well done. They know how to sell these type of things. I know, like the year prior, we got um, nails attacking Big Boss Man, and they did the same sort of stuff there. But uh, they it doesn't matter who's on there. You, you know this angle's coming, so they're like, "Hey, you be on your best best game here." They did a great job of selling it for sure. We close out superstars with Tatanka cutting an insert promo during his match over Tom Bennett with the Samoan drop. One minute seventeen seconds. We go on. I want to talk just real real quick about WWF Mania for January 16th. There were two exclusive matches on this episode. They're both on our social media account. Steve, I don't know if you've had the chance to check them out yourself yet, but it's Yokozuna in a match over Jim Powers, also a dark match from the original Raw taping with the Banzai. Match went about three minutes. Also an exclusive, El Matador Tito Santana over Wild Bill Irwin, one of your favorites from 1989 NWA. Mm -hmm. El Paso del Muerte. Tito picks up the win in about six minutes. That exclusive can be found on our social media accounts. As Bill Irwin came in and did a couple of tryout matches. This was one of them. <laughs> I'll pass. Okay. <laughs> I like so, Tito, but no thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. WWF Wrestling Challenge, January 17th. Came back on December 15th. It's Ric Flair over off the gas Jimmy Powers. I don't know if you got a chance to watch this one. Flair picked up the win with a figure four in three minutes, two seconds. Yet another match I added to our social media account because Jimmy Powers looked like the, uh, he took the uh, Chris Masters how to lose uh, 70 pounds in 30 days gimmick because holy shit was he deflated here. 
I wasn't paying that much attention, to be honest. Uh, it looked like a completely different uh, guy. That, and, and, and that's why I, I mentioned that, too, when I when I posted the video. Look at Jimmy Powers' physique. It, if you didn't see it was Jimmy Powers, you would have never realized it was Jimmy Powers by by his body. <laughs> it's funny. So it's very noticeable. Clearly, the steroid shit is legit. Vince is certainly cracking down. Uh, if, if the main eventers like Bulldog and Warrior aren't going to get away with it, Jimmy Powers certainly isn't getting away with it here. Then came the, you remember when I told you I'm going to be reminded of certain angles that I didn't remember or this, that, and the other going into 1993? I watched what I feel, and maybe it wasn't, maybe I did see it when it happened. I don't ever remember this segment to save my life. From Wrestling Challenge, it's Raymond Rougeau interviewing Mr. Perfect up on the stage, and Perfect is just goading at Ric Flair, saying all of these things, talking about the feathers on his robe, basically implying that Ric Flair is a chicken. He said he's going to knock his beak off his face, and Ric Flair is livid, and he continues to rush towards the stage, trying to attack Mr. Perfect. He keeps getting held back till finally... They go at it at the close of the segment. And I got to be honest with you to save my life. I don't ever remember seeing this before. So if I have, it probably hasn't been since I actually originally watched this when it first aired, this really added heat for their upcoming match on raw for me. I really love this. I, this is another one that I grabbed and posted because I, I thought this was great. Mr. Perfect did a great job and flair did an equal job selling how pissed off and crazy he was. Yeah, this was awesome. Uh, very well done. Flair keeps coming back and he keeps on outrunning the refs. Like he's up there and he can do what he wants, but he has to slow down for the refs to catch him uh, quite a few times. Again, this is very good. I know in the first superstars of the year, they had Flair come out and distract perfect. It didn't work. Uh, I know we get a little bit more of that on raw, but this was really, they did an excellent job throughout all this TV building up to that big match uh, at the end of the show here. Yeah, this is awesome. I loved it. More action with The Undertaker over Dale Wolf with the Tombstone in two minutes and five seconds. Bam Bam Bigelow over George Anderson with the diving headbutt in a minute and 40. We get the special report, again discussing Kamala's recent babyface turn. Lance Cassidy, Steve Armstrong, makes his final TV appearance in the WWF with another win via Bulldog, this time over Dave Siegfried's in two minutes, 48 seconds. So, Lance Cassidy, we hardly knew ye. As we go back for our third promo with... Bobby Heenan discussing Narcissus. Well, Mr. Perfect, old pal, we're just about a week away from the Royal Rumble. And by now, Ric Flair has proved to you and to all those ham and eggers that you're anything but perfect. But just to add a little icing on the cake, after you've been dumped on your head in the Royal Rumble and beat up by 29 other wrestlers, you're going to wish you never laid eyes on me. And when I unveil Narcissus, no one will believe their eyes. This man has every right to be in love with himself. Because unlike you, perfect, there is not, and I'll say it again, not a blemish on his body. There is not an evil backstabbing thought in his mind. He possesses the most magnificent physique known to man, with symmetry beyond being perfect, with definition a Greek god would be proud of. His muscular mass is so vast he appears to be armor-plated. 
his refined good looks would compare to a mythical Adonis. So get ready, perfect. Get ready, all you pretzel-eating, beer-guzzling, pock-marked-faced couch potatoes, and wait until you see and get a load of Narcissus. That was Narcissus promo number three by Bobby the Brain Hand, three of four. We got one more coming in the final week of January. So just another good job by Bobby Heenan there. Yeah, absolutely. It gets a little awkward at the debut, but... Um, <laughs> well, it gets very... No, it gets, it gets a lot more than a little awkward at the fucking debut, Steve. Let's be honest here. I don't know anybody's um, ever yeah. referred to it as just a little awkward. <laughs> um, but no, this is, a, this is a great promo. Uh, he did an excellent job, for sure. Uh, he needs the man. Show goes on. We get the Royal Rumble report. Promos from Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Bam Bam Bigelow, the head shrinkers, Jerry Lawler. Still counting 29 wrestlers, by the way, Steve. And we finally hear or see the very first time the Beverly Brothers, about time they made it to TV in a promo here before the match with the Steiners at the Rumble. So the Beverly Brothers do exist, just uh, not very often. We close out this edition of Wrestling Challenge with Razor Ramon over Jerry Fox with the Razor's Edge. Two minutes, seven seconds. And it's back to Monday Night Raw. Once again, live this week, January 18th, as Vince welcomes everyone to the show. They show Rob Bartlett hold up a picture of Bobby the Brain Heenan. And he says, fight the real enemy as he rips the Heenan picture in half. Of course, this goes back to an episode of Saturday Night Live when Sinead O'Connor said, fight the real enemy and ripped up a picture of the Pope. And that got her banned permanently from SNL. Of course, so Rob Bartlett ripping that off. But after we see that, boom, out of nowhere, of all people, it's the Repo, Mr. Exclusive himself, Repo Man, has debuted on Monday Night Raw as he attacks Randy Savage from behind. Lays him out again out of nowhere, Steve, and drops the Macho Man and steals his hat and just takes off. Macho is aloof to what's going on as we go into the Monday Night Raw opening credits. And when we come back, Macho Man is gone. Vince McMahon announces Macho Man took off to go try to find his hat, try to find the Repo Man. Yeah, nice little solid TV angle here to get to their match next week. So, spoiler alert, I guess. But uh, no, uh, not bad. I mean, I don't. The roster is so thin that you just kind of take what you can get, to be honest with you. I mean, in a real world, you don't really want the Repo Man having to have a quick TV match with Macho Man. But when you look at the roster, what the hell are you going to do? There's only so much you can do. So uh, they're kind of stuck with what they got at this point. I mean, when you look at the level or the tiers of the guys, it is like Outlaw Ron Bass attacking Hulk Hogan. But at the same time, shit like this didn't happen. Guys didn't just randomly attack people for no reason, mm-hmm. just to be a dick, <laughs> you know, just, just for the hell of it. So that the, the shock factor was pretty cool. Uh, but that wasn't the last time that I, I popped on this show because immediately after we come back from the raw opening video, familiar music plays, but I hadn't heard it in years as the bell sounds for the opening match. It's Mr. Perfect taking on terrific Terry Taylor, but Terry Taylor, he doesn't have any theme music, does he, Steve? Or, or maybe, maybe he does. Holy cow, he said it was uncut. Uncut. And uncensored. Holy Toledo. What was that all about? That was unconscionable. Randy Savage is now with us. Savage, obviously, trying to find the repo man. Terry Taylor coming at you live. Manhattan Center, we are rocking and rolling on Monday Night Raw. 
touch with Randy. I, I want him to check on my... Well, I'm glad we're not on video, Steve, because I can't help but do the rooster strut while I listen to that theme music. So while the did, he didn't get the big crow at the beginning of the theme, uh, you can visibly or audibly still hear the other crows throughout the, uh, the theme music. Clearly a rib on Terry Taylor, and to his credit, he doesn't sell it. <laughs> Good on him. I mean, I'm sure he's trying to get a new gimmick over, and you're going to do stupid shit like that to him. Like, I'd be salty. He has more... <laughs> <laughs> more restraint, more restraint, I guess, than yeah. I do. Uh, I would have been pissed off. <laughs> I mean, after all, he had been the Red Rooster, so it really couldn't get much much worse than that. So good job there by Terry Taylor. There's no selling to get in the ring and ready to go. It's Mr. Perfect taking on Terry Taylor. We've seen that match plenty of times in the Rooster era. And Bobby Heenan gets on the telephone here during this match. He argues with Rob Bartlett during the match. He sells All-American Wrestling with Mean Gene Oakland. Bobby Heenan now with Gene on that show. The match is back and forth into a commercial break, and Terry Taylor takes over with a doctor bomb for a two-count. Mr. Perfect makes the comeback, but Ric Flair is again out to distract Mr. P as Taylor knees. Perfect from behind takes the bump to the floor, a la the Berserker match. Flair, this time, though, attacks Mr. Perfect on the outside. Meanwhile, back inside, Perfect's thrown back in the ring. He gets up. Terry tries for some kind of a suplex, maybe a perfect plex of his own, but Hennig simply reverses it. Lands the perfect plex and picks up the win. So Terry Taylor, well, the Ric Flair interference didn't really do a whole lot there. Vince McMahon calls it a superplex by mistake, but it is the perfect plex that picks up the win here. Mr. Perfect over Terry Taylor in 10 minutes. And Perfect immediately jumps out of the ring, goes darting to the back to chase after Ric Flair. Yeah, another solid TV match here on Monday Night Raw. It was good. These guys can work, obviously. And uh, we had some nice back and forth. They continued the the feud with Flair by having him come out and do what he did. And then um, they really, they're really reestablishing the, the dominance of Mr. Perfect as well as the, the perfect plex. Cause he's not just winning. There was times where he was winning with just pins and goofing around and things like that. It's back to doing the perfect plex on every single win and it's getting it over. So job well done all around here. Decent match, good angle stuff to continue that feud and, Perfect looks great here. He hasn't lost the edge yet. No. And so uh, I did notice uh, early on in the show, I was kind of marveled that Bartlett was restraining himself from saying too much stupid shit to bury anyone. I figured maybe the memo came in and Vince kind of explained to him, you can't make fun of my wrestlers. You got to tell jokes without downgrading our, our, our talent. This is how we sell the program. Uh, but then he goes and screws everything up because Match is going fine. It's Taylor versus Perfect. It's paint by numbers wrestling match in the ring. Nothing wrong with that. When Ric Flair comes out and the, and the story gets hot and they're, they're building to something huge, that's when Rob Bartlett decides to open his mouth. He starts referring to Ric Flair as Mary Joe Buttafuoco. He's When Mr. Perfect starts getting beat up by Terry Taylor, he says, well, Mr. Perfect doesn't look so perfect. So now he's shitting on the baby face in which Vince actually had to override what he was saying. So, again, I ask, what's the point of having him here when you have to fix all of the shit that he's breaking? There is no point. <laughs> the only thing I could think of that would even remotely explain away why they kept him so long was he had some sort of contract uh, to where he got a certain amount of time, maybe had a decent buyout. I don't know, but that's the only thing I could think of that would cause him to uh, be still around, to be honest. 
Yeah, that'd be interesting because he was with Imus at the same time. So I don't know if he was working on a, a real contract or if it was more of a handshake deal and Vince was just paying him. I'm not really sure. What, or maybe it's just Vince's ego. I'm going to fix this guy before, you know, before it's the last thing I do. And it just, he eventually goes, you know what? I, I can't even fix this guy. You're gone, pal. <laughs> but unfortunately, it doesn't happen soon enough. We go to the ring. It's promo time. Vince McMahon interviews champion Bret Hart. Last week, it was Razor. This week, it's the Hitman. And this is where Bret says, Razor Ramon is under the barrel because it's scum. He's scum for attacking my brother Owen. So Bret Hart says Razor isn't just the scum in the barrel. He's under the barrel. And at Royal Rumble, Bret is throwing the rule book out the window. I don't think he really does that, but he says he will redeem the Hart family name, get revenge for Owen, and beat the bad guy. And then and then Bret goes and does it. He coins another uh, line, Steve. He says he's going to knock Razor Ramon into unconscious street. And he also refers to himself as the toughest, meanest, best. I wrote, bleh. This is just a 1993 Bret Hart promo. Nothing special. He doesn't figure that out. It's at least 96, maybe 97 on how to cut a decent promo. But um, I'm going to knock you into unconscious street. That's right. Whatever <laughs> okay, the hell that what, is. Whatever that is. Is this yes. the one where he says he's going to... Um, He's going to excellently execute him or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, did, I only took the, the, the absolute dumbest lines and wrote them here. So I don't know, man. It's a fucking Brett promo, dude. It's a la- there's like one yeah, of the very terrible. fucking bottom of the. I remember Virgil promos better than I remember Brett's because they're just, if you're going to suck, do it like marvelously like fucking Virgil. Man. It's like, it's like Brett is, he's not so bad that it's terrible, you know, no, like where it's, it's funny just, or you know, just memorable. It's just right. like, He's so close to being decent, but it's like, well, he said words, way. right? He said words, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. So, so, um, it's Brett. It is what it is. You know, this undertaker stuff here, uh, during the mid nineties, it was very questionable. 93, 94, whenever they were doing the, that, uh, happy birthday hotline thing where they had him singing happy birthday and here like promoting headlock and hunger. These are the things you don't do with the undertaker. And here they are, uh, him and Paul bearer, pimping the headlock on hunger coming up at Madison square garden, the Somalia relief fund. I'm not knocking that. I just, uh, you got like 400 guys on your roster. Why the undertaker back to the ring though. It's Marty Jannetty over Glenn root, the future thrasher of the head bunker, uh, headbangers rocker or Marty gets the win with the rocker dropper five minutes, and 11 seconds. So they did extend the squash a little bit. Since he was worth it, working with a capable job guy during the match. It was Sean Michaels on the phone, trashing Marty Jannetty. And again, promising that Sherry would be in his corner at the Royal Rumble. We then go back to superstars and see the doink attack on Crush. Then we get a picture-in-picture of the announcers and Sean Mooney on the outside. So it's Vince, Savage, and Bartlett inside the arena and Sean Mooney outside in the streets of New York City with the Repo Man. And in any other city, this would not be a normal thing, but being New York, nobody bats an eye twice and a guy that looks like the Repo Man standing outside. Meanwhile, Macho Man is looking for his hat, which the Repo Man has. And this made me laugh. It's stupid, but it made me laugh. Repo tells Savage that he was late on his hat payments. I wrote LOL because it did make me laugh. Repo then taunts Savage by wearing his cowboy hat. Good stuff by the Repo Man there. Yeah, definitely good. We all know Savage was not late on his payments. Um (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely uh, paid that shit off. He's, he's gotten his money back from the IRS uh, on his uh, business expenses. But, uh, no, this is pretty funny. 
Uh, I like how he stole the earpiece out of uh, Mooney's ear so he could actually hear what Savage was saying to him. And they were kind of just going back and forth uh, with each other. But, um, yeah, decent stuff. I mean, it's just this is what you get a lot in 93 is just short little angles on TV to get to the next week's match. So uh, they didn't leave anything uncovered unless it was necessary or you didn't necessarily need to do anything. But this was uh, if you're going to do the match, you might as well put a little heat on it, you know. Right. Uh, we go on to the final Rumble report before the actual pay-per-view. We get a promo from Razor here. And this is where I notice it is so odd that Raw is not the A show, but it's not really the C show. It's like its own entity. It's almost like it's the WWF, but not the WWF. They're selling the Royal Rumble, but there's not anything on this actual show selling the Royal Rumble outside of a Bret Hart promo. So I just thought that was interesting. We, we're, instead, we're selling next week's Monday Night Raw match coming up. So it's just really odd how Raw morphed into what it eventually became because at this point, syndication was still a very big deal, and that's why our big angles are actually happening in syndication. Yeah, it's, it's, it takes quite a while for Raw to make, to get that main... Right. I don't even know when that is. 95, maybe? I mean... What a terrible... 94, probably, possibly. Probably by default in 95. They didn't really have much of an option. <laughs> yeah, they lost everything by then. Um so as long as the syndication was as strong as it was, I'm sure it's still in 93. There's no reason to make Raw that primary brand just because they're paying you to give them TV. So <laughs> I'm taking that cash cow as long as I can, to be honest. So uh, the only way you're going to keep that is to do the angles and give them reason to watch. So it makes sense. Show moves on with Randy Savage outside with Sean Mooney. Now he's looking for the repo man, but the repo man for the moment is long gone. So we go back to ringside for our main event. It's El Matador Tito Santana taking on Ric Flair. Macho Man returns for commentary. We go into a commercial break through the match, and even Tito gets to press Ric Flair off the top rope. That's how much Flair loves that spot. He's even letting Tito throw him off the top rope. We get the Ric Flair flip up under the corner, uh, onto the apron. Later in the match, Tito nails his former finisher, the flying forearm. He tries it a second time, but Flair drops down, and Tito goes flying out to the floor. And that's when it happens. Mr. Perfect attacks the nature boy, pulls him out to the floor, and they begin a brawl on Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect going at it. I have to imagine, I don't remember there being an announcement, I have to imagine Flair gets the win here under disqualification after the perfect interference. Match went 8 minutes and 14 seconds as a wild brawl ensues between Hennig and Flair. Perfect then throws a big punch in which Vince calls, What a maneuver! So now even the punch is a, What a maneuver! Here as we go back into another break, and as we come back, it's another brawl between Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. So they're really selling this live here between Hennig and Flair, and that's when Vince McMahon interviews the Nature Boy ringside. You don't talk to me. The rules go. The WWF isn't big enough for me and Mr. Perfect. So right here, live. In front of God and the whole world. Here next week, I want perfect. Oh, that looks pretty clear. You can't get any clearer than that. Rick Flair will look at One of us stays, one of us goes. Not out of the building, but out of the WWF. 
I can't believe you would risk your career, Mr. Flair. I can't believe you would do that. And I'm not too sure that Mr. Perfect is going to do that either. I can't believe. And you started I can tell you right now, you're not mad enough. You haven't got the guts. And you will never see the day in your life you beat Rick Flair. All right, and I'm going to get your thoughts on that in a second, Steve. But first, after Flair's promo, Mr. Perfect is brought out for his response. Well, I guess we didn't have to wait. I don't know if you heard that challenge or not from Ric Flair. He states the WWF is not big enough for the two of you. He's going to put his career in the WWF on the line, if you will. You're talking about meeting Ric Flair, and the loser has to leave the World Wrestling Federation? Here, right here next week. Are you kidding me? I'll take that in a heartbeat. Ric Flair, you're going to be gone. McMahon, you know me. Everybody knows me. I am what I say I am, Flair. You want me? You got me right here. I must say, I can't imagine you putting your career on the line like that. Or even Ric Flair. It's going too far. Both of you are great competitors. Why risk that? Is that what it has to take? Ric Flair, is that what it's gone down to? The two greatest athletes in the World Wrestling Federation? Only one man will stay in the World Wrestling Federation? I'll take that challenge. I'll put my career on the line right here. Thank you very much. It can't be any Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect puts his career on the line next week, one-on-one with Ric Flair. And of course, the Macho Man Randy Savage meeting the Repo Man one-on-one as well. And maybe the Macho Man can find his hat. It's going to be World War III next Monday night. And the stage is set next week for the first taped episode of Raw. It's Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. Wow, what a fucking match just to begin with. Flair and Hennig on TV in a loser leaves town match. We didn't really see those in the WWF uh, ever. So that was a huge deal. Very different. And wow, what a match. And then on the undercard earlier on the show, Repo Man and Randy Savage on a fun little two-week story arc as well. So what a stacked little raw for next week the episode after the Royal Rumble, but what's your take here on the uh, Flair and Hennig brawls throughout this show, storytelling throughout the entire show, the Hennig match, the Flair match, and then these promos. Uh, Yeah, just excellent TV. Um, This has been pushed since Survivor Series, really. Um, Gotta get to the point. Um, I was shocked to see a loser leaves town. Like, holy crap, they're doing this. Like, one of them's gone forever. Like, that's, that's new. That's something we don't get here. Um, so I remember as a kid just like being floored that they're going to give us a loser leaves town match. So I was excited. I couldn't wait to watch it. I couldn't wait for the World Rumble. Everybody loves the Rumble. I was a kid. I was probably I was six years old. So I was really excited for the Rumble, and I was also excited for that Raw. I didn't tape anything uh, as a kid except the pay per views, and then the next night I taped that Raw. So whenever I watched. My recording of Royal Rumble, I just kept it on and watched the Raw right afterwards. So I've seen this. Uh, I've been watching this show, um, the the Raw coming up here for years, ever since 93, ever since it aired. So I've seen it so many times, but it's one of my favorite matches. It's one of those lost classics that if you know, you know, and you know about it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a classic. It's one of the best Raw matches of all time. It, still, to me, it has everything you'd want. This was just 
the uh, two great promos to sell it. Just good shit. Yeah, and these guys know how to do that. And Hennig's never really been given an opportunity to sell something this serious. And you can tell Jerry Jarrett has his hand in the Raw booking now uh, because there's a Loser Leaves Town matcher. And you saw those in Memphis all the time. Uh, the only difference and is you got somebody TV actually. Angles. Yes, and the only thing different is somebody's actually leaving town here. Usually in Memphis, it lasts about a week or two. So, one of these guys are gone after the next episode of Raw, and Raw ends this week with the Repo Man jumping up onto the back of the tow truck. He has Rob Bartlett's car being towed as he wears the Macho Man's hat. So next week, Savage is going to look for revenge and get his hat back from the Repo Man to close out this edition of Raw. So we got a very serious storyline moments ago, and we close more lightheartedly with the Repo Man towing a car, wearing Macho Man's hat, a little silly but, you know, it works. And finally, after almost a year and a half, the Repo Man has done his most relevant thing in the entire history of the Repo Man. Well, he did hang the British Bulldog, but... Um, yeah, then the Bulldog uh, yeah, got as hurt. Far as TV goes. They had a freaking 86 that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, too bad Bartha wasn't in the car uh, as it got towed out. <laughs> Tow him away forever. Him. Yeah, definitely. Or underneath yep. the car. Even better. I'm not trying to murder anybody on TV, <laughs> but he can leave TV and not come back. Go back to radio. So uh, we go to Rumble, Royal Rumble weekend. It's the final TV before the Royal Rumble. WF Superstars January 23rd. New set of tapings from January 5th. San Antonio, Texas in the Freeman Coliseum. We immediately learn that Crush is out of the Royal Rumble with a serious concussion injury. We go to the ring. It's the Undertaker over Dave Silguero with the Tombstone Pile Driver. One minute, 53 seconds. This week's edition of Update discusses the injury to Crush at length. We also see Gene Okerlund standing there holding, supposedly, the arm that Doink used to beat Crush with. The problem is it's a completely different fucking arm. The arm that Doink used had the flat, goofy-looking hand that was clearly not a real hand uh, with a white glove-type substance. Here, Mean Gene's holding an arm with a uh, skin, flesh-colored, normal-looking fake hand. I... I I don't know why I'm describing this, Steve, but basically what my point was is they throw to Gene. He's showing the arm. They go back to last week's uh, segment. You see it's a completely different arm. Then they cut back to Gene again. So I thought, like, the, the continuity there was a little eh. <laughs> the glove could have fell off, though. You know that, right? Well, it could have if, if the hand looked anything like the hand. The the ridiculous hand Doink had was, it was like, flat, it looked like a fucking Mickey Mouse hand, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So, shame on Crush for even fucking believing that was really his arm. Well, he had to make it look like Dish. it was a real hand. Yeah, Gene, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, you know, and Alfred Hayes does the same gimmick, and I'm wondering if that fucking hand there was different than the other two. I don't know what the hell they're doing here. But anyways, Crush is hurt. He's out and doinks an asshole, apparently, is the storyline here in this update. We go back to the ring. It's Marty Jannetty over Ken Johnson with the rocker dropper. He San Antonio job extraordinaire Ken Johnson there. Uh, it was good seeing him. Rocker Dropper gets the win one minute and 10 seconds. We also see another San Antonio guy, Rudy Gonzalez, another trainer for Shawn Michaels. Papa Shango picks up the win over Rudy with the inverted shoulder breaker in a minute and 39 seconds. We even get an insert promo from Papa Shango here about the Royal Rumble. This match was taped shortly before Shango uh, receives a uh, separated shoulder. So uh, Shango does get a match in here before the Rumble, though. Promo time with Raymond Rougeau, this time with Brett the Hitman Hart. This was a great segment. I can't tell you the first time I ever saw a wrestler argue with another wrestler on a video screen wall, but 
off the top of my head, this may be the very first time there's actually interaction between a guy on a screen wall and a guy on the stage, Brett and Razor going back and forth. And Razor really commanded this. They gave this to him and he did a tremendous job selling uh, the character of Razor Ramon, telling Brett to shut up. And I liked a lot of his lines. He was coming up. It made Brett look inferior on the promo. So it's like, wow, Razor's come a long way since big Scott Hall in 1989 anyway, as he really owns the hitman here, I thought anyway, during this promo, the final interview between the two before the Royal Rumble. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. This is on the pre-show as well, so I've had this memorized. There's times where I've sat on my bed just saying the lines before they even come out. I know I've done it. My wife's been in the room, and I'm like, yeah, I can tell you what he's about to say. And I repeat it off. I know it like the back of my hand, so... um to me, this is one of Brett's better promos, too. I love the part where Razor's like in a lull on his speech, and Brett's like, instead of, like, why don't you just come out here? Instead of hiding behind a video, why don't you come out here? And he's like, shut up, Chico. <laughs> it just cuts him off, and it's just like, he, he, he did command it, but I felt like it really got Brett's blood boiling a little bit, and Brett did an excellent job of selling it after Razor left the video wall. Right. And he's like, I take pride in being the WWF champion. And this Sunday, we're all going to take pride when I kick your butt. Too bad this it's may be PG, Brett's, you know, World War yeah. 93. But right. well, it's probably, he'd be like, I'd kick your ass, which would have been a lot better. Right. But, well, um, it's probably Brett's best promo up until like 97 or something, at least 96 or some shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so. he, he clearly, like, Razor gave him all the material he needed right before he had to talk. So right. I, I love this segment. And to me... After the Owen attack, and then all of a sudden Razor's on here talking about if I see your dad walking down the street, I'll slap his tit, I'll slap his face too. So I mean, Razor was really saying some shit that you knew would get under Brett's skin, and right. I think everything's it everything's Brett. real. Got a good promo. So yeah, so excellent job by both guys, and um, they do one other thing too at the Rumble, and we'll talk about it on the watch along that I really like too. Very cool and unique. Show goes on with Bam Bam Bigelow over Gary Jackson with a diving headbutt. One minute, 49 seconds. During that match, we do get another insert promo from the big boss man since he's not getting any TV time in the ring at this point on his way out the door. Royal Rumble report. Promos from Fuji and Yokozuna, Mr. Perfect, Bob Backlund, Ric Flair. They're not even announcing all 30 guys at this point. I think they announced kind of like something like 17 this week. So Vince changing up how the reports are, are used here. Anyway, as we go back to the ring, Kamala, now with his, not manager, but advisor, Reverend Slick, picking up the win over Dale Wolf after the big splash. Of course, Kamala's still having trouble learning how to pin his opponent, so he needs the fans' help. Slick gets the fans involved to teach Kamala to roll the man over in order to get the win. Kamala finally gets the win, 1 minute and 51 seconds. I noted here, I noticed here that Hey, wait a minute. Kamala's not in the Royal Rumble. That seems like an easy spot to, to fill. Put Kamala in there. But again, maybe they didn't want to job him out in that shitty Terry Taylor spot, and they weren't going to change the role. I don't know. I'm making shit up for Kamala here. Seems odd he wasn't inserted into the match. Speaking of inserts, we get an insert promo during the match, the Kamala match. It's with Harvey Whippleman. He says Kamala and the Reverend, they better say their prayers before Kim Chi gets in the ring with Kamala. I don't know how Harvey cut that promo with a straight face, but he was great at selling job guys as serious threats. There's, I always go back to this one radio WWF. Bret Hart called in 
Harvey Whippleman's called in as well. They're both on there at the same time. Everything obviously is ad lib back in those days. Uh, they probably didn't know they were both going to be on the air at the same time. And out of nowhere, Harvey with a straight, well, face, straight voice asks Brett, when are you going to wrestle, defend your title against guys like Quang or well done? And I just, I died laughing as he said that straight, like lace, just uh, fucking just wow. I was like, wow. Asking Brett when he's going to wrestle Quang and well done. Well done, Harvey. <laughs> well, he did wrestle Skinner and Papa Shango, so and it's not too far off. Brett, oh. Brett would love to fight those guys. Let's yeah, oh, honest. there's no doubt. You know, that's the old Brett, Bruce Pritchard story. They fucking jobbed everybody they could to Brett on TV, and Brett still wasn't happy. And he goes, well, Brett, who haven't you beaten? It was a rhetorical question. And Brett just goes, well, I haven't beat Virgil. And he's like, you want to wrestle Virgil? And Brett's like, yeah. He's like, okay. And then that's how the Virgil match comes about in late 92 as well. So Brett just wanted to beat everyone. Show goes off the air with Randy. This is fun. Randy Savage and Jerry Lawler both arguing over who's going to win the Royal Rumble. Of course, the King says it's him. Macho thinks it's him. And that's how we close the show. Both guys arguing over Vince McMahon. Uh, Also, January 23rd on the Mania, the exclusive match was taped at the January 18th Raw. Virgil over Iron Mike Sharp. It's at this point when Virgil gets gassed during this squash match. He nails a very sloppy back suplex, gets the win with the Russian leg sweep. Match went about five and a half minutes. I, this, this is the point where I learned that uh, a Virgil comp would really collect some money. The WWE needs to make a Virgil section on the uh, Peacock WWE Network. Uh, I'd love to just see Virgil promos and shitty matches all day long. Yeah, no thanks. You'll be the only one tuning in. I don't know, man. I think these. I think his promos uh, would get some hits. <laughs> and uh, we go on to January 24th. It's the day of the Royal Rumble for Wrestling Challenge. Tape back on January 4th in Beaumont, Texas at the Convention Center. Kick things off with Tatanka or Iron Mike Sharp. They do let Mike Sharp use his uh, foreign object, the, uh, the, the wrist brace that he's fucking been trying to heal his hand now for over a decade, it seems. Uh, Mike Sharp does use it, but Tatanka damn near no-sells it and does the dance back and the Samoan drop, gets the win two minutes and 22 seconds. We get the insert promo during the match from Tatanka, who says he will be the first Native American to win the Royal Rumble. We'll see if that happens. Special report time. It's more crush and doink before we go back to the ring. Papa Shango over Bob East with the reverse shoulder breaker. What an awesome move. I can't remember what game video game that was in on Sega. But I love being Papa Shango just so I could do that. It looked like a power bomb onto the knee in the game. Uh, good shit there. Papa Shango picks the win up here at one minute and 30 seconds. This is where Gorilla talks about how tough Papa Shango is because he's worked through a separated shoulder, even though when it was this was taped, it hadn't happened yet. It also explains why they still put him in the Rumble match, but he was only in there for a very brief period of time. He was actually still injured to a degree, still healing from the injury, I should say. You know, humanoids, when you think about it, there's never a dull moment here in the World Wrestling Federation. There's always something going on, especially during a World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view. Well, this Sunday afternoon's Royal Rumble is going to epitomize the grandeur, the spectacle, the excitement you have come to expect at the World Wrestling Federation pay-per-views. One of the reasons is because shockwaves will be heard around the world. When I unveil to you and all the other superstars in the World Wrestling Federation, especially you, Mr. Perfect, the quintessential male specimen, Narcissus. Now, Perfect, I know you and everybody else have been wondering 
Who is Narcissus? Is he really the metamorphic Adonis that Bobby Heenan says he is? Does he really possess the Herculean strength and power? Does he really have the agility, the finesse, the speed, and technical skills of all the greatest wrestlers in the world combined? Well, the answer is that as eloquent and intelligent as I am, even I cannot describe in mere words the affirmations of the above this Sunday afternoon at the Royal Rumble. Behold, the narcissist. Um, we go back to the ring. It's the nasty boys, your boys, over Chuck West and EZ Bermudez. Not familiar with that guy. They get the win with their two-part finisher. Two and a half minutes goes the match. And another insert promo from the nasties. The less said, the better. Hacksaw Jim Duggan with his own promo for the headlock on hunger. Back to the ring again. Yokozuna over Rudy Flores with the bonsai drop. One minute, 35 seconds. We heard Earthquake a couple weeks ago talk about the rumble. And Yokozuna this week, it's the insert promo from Typhoon. You don't have a chance. I didn't even buy this back then, Steve. <laughs> Me either. Me and, either. And we close out the show. Bob Backlin over our friend, Luis Piccoli. Again, Backlund using the banana split roll-up to get the win one minute and 57 seconds. It was during this match we got a Bob Backlund promo, an insert promo from Backlund. Last time Backlund wrestled on TV, we got an insert promo from Virgil. I was dying for Virgil here by the time this Backlund promo was over. And it was so, so terrible. he is so terrible that even Gorilla joins in on the fun here because after the very quiet, mundane, monotone, boring Bob Backlund promo, Bobby Heenan says, exciting guy. Gorilla responds, you noticed that too, didn't you? <laughs> so even Gorilla has to agree with Bobby Heenan here. Someone he never agrees with. Yeah, nothing you can do. Nothing you can do about that one. We go back to Superstars to see the Bret Hart Razor Ramon back and forth promo. Then it's the final Royal Rumble report before the pay-per-view. Then to the ring, I added this actually on our uh, Social media pages as well, Steve. Intercontinental champion Shawn Michaels taking on one of my favorite job guys of all time, Reno Riggins, who could have been a little more than that if you ask me. I, he had a lot of fun matches teaming with Barry Horowitz, and then later on actually teamed with Steve Dunn of Well Done, Steve Dahl, as the Tennessee Vols around the Tennessee area. But it's Shawn Michaels picking up the teardrop suplex win here, 2 minutes and 20 seconds. The reason I grabbed this video was... Reno Riggins trying his best to do the great Muda handspring elbow during the match. So that was, uh, it was interesting to say the least insert promo here from Marty Jannetty during the match as well. Final sell for their intercontinental title match at the pay-per-view. And actually I also enjoyed the teardrop suplex here because Sean lets go in midair and it almost kind of looks like he turns it into an angle slam by accident. So Sean Michaels picks up a final win heading into tonight's pay-per-view, the Royal rumble. And we move on. We're going to bypass the Rumble, and we're going to talk about January 25th and the Monday Night Raw. This was taped last week on the 18th. Next week, me and Steve will be back with the Royal Rumble watch-along. It's going to be fun. Uh, but for right now, we're going to talk this big episode of Royal or Monday Night Raw. And we kick things off with Sean Mooney once again outside as Repo Man pulls up in a tow truck. And remember, since this was recorded... Uh, I was kind of pondering, did the did Repo Man, when the show went off the air last week, did he just go around the block in the tow truck and pull back up, or did they film this first with the tow truck pulling in before it pulled out? I don't know. Things like that go through my mind when I think about filming TV, filming movies and things. But Repo Man pulls up, and he's got Macho Man's hat with him, and he says he's going to repossess Savage's career tonight just like he did his hat. 
So that's uh, that's going to be kicking off our show. And remember two weeks ago, we're only three weeks into Raw, Steve. Remember two weeks ago when Bobby Heaton couldn't even get into the arena? Well, this week he's subbing for the Macho Man on commentary. So it only took three weeks for Bobby Heenan to show up on Monday Night Raw. And he's at ringside with Vince McMahon and Rob Bartlett here. Should have been permanent. <laughs> you, you had to get him on here. Uh, I, I wonder if that's why they did the repo Macho Man match, so they can have an excuse to bump Macho to get Heenan on there. Obviously, we would all rather Bartlett get bumped, but uh, you can't do that in Vince's mind too early. So um, it makes sense. It all came together quite nicely in a perfect puzzle. It's nice to hear Heenan on Raw, for sure. So we kick things off with Repo Man heading into the ring. He puts the Macho Man's hat on his head, which is a big mistake. Randy Savage darts to ringside, attacks the Repo Man because they sell it as if Randy Savage only has one hat, and he needs this hat back. And judging from that bald spot, I can see why. But, Randy, you have 8 million hats at home. I mean, you don't have to be that damn fucking selfish, man. Just pass one on to Repo Man. He needs he needs a hat, too. Repo's got a bigger bald spot than Randy Savage here. As the Macho Man dominates the entire match, Repo Man tries to run away at one point, but he doesn't get very far. Repo finally takes over on Randy Savage, drives him into the steel steps, and again into the ring post, and then does a very long, boring body scissors through a commercial break, and then again, just to prove the point that it's it's a very boring match, Repo with a chin lock on top of the body scissors. Poor, poor Randy Savage being stuck here. What do you expect from a guy who was smash for the last several years? Repo Man has no really offensive maneuvers as he comes off the middle rope but runs right into a Randy Savage clothesline. That's all it takes. Randy Savage goes up, drops the elbow, picks up the win, 10 minutes, a nothing match, but he tosses Repo to the floor and he gets his hat back. So Randy Savage gets his hat back. The two-week story arc between he and the Repo Man is over, and this match, thankfully, is over. Not a very good match. Repo dominated with with rest holds, basically. And then Savage doesn't even get a really big comeback. It just kind of nails the Repo with a clothesline and then the elbow, and it's all go. It all, it's all over. It's all it takes. Um, I would prefer maybe a five- or six-minute match, and you just dominate. Repo doesn't need any offense. But, um, yeah, we got a shit leg lock type deal where he's just wrapped around his gut, and that's about it. Uh, then you get the body slam and the big elbow. So it was okay. It, it was easier to swallow because you had the feud, so you wanted to see Savage get his hat back and get the win. Uh, if this was just thrown together as a match, just thrown on the card, it would have been even worse. So um, thank God for that little angle there to get us to this point. So as the show continues on, we get a promo for WrestleMania 9, which will be at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Very interesting. Back to the ring, it's Kamala with Slick in his corner taking on the Brooklyn Brawler, who also doubles as Kim Chi. So it's technically Kamala wrestling against Kim Chi here in one way, shape, or form. Bartlett actually calls Kamala Nell Carter at the beginning of this match, so the silly nonsense continues on with Rob Bartlett, it's the brawler jumps Kamala from behind, but Kamala with the quick comeback and the big splash gets the win. Three minutes, 33 seconds. Bobby Heenan's jokes are better than Rob Bartlett's, I noted, by the end of this. And I'm not being biased. They just were. And I, and in fact, twice during the match, Bar- Rob Bartlett busted up at Bobby Heenan's jokes. So even Bartlett's laughing at Bobby Heenan, who he's supposed to be feuding with. Yeah, because Heenan's jokes fit into the actual wrestling world and don't squash your talent whereas Bartlett's jokes are about the talent so that's the difference that's why one works and the other one don't 
Following the match, we get a ringside promo briefly with Vince McMahon, who's with Slick and Kamala. Slick says Kamala is all about the fans now, and the fans are responsible for converting Kamala. He, they converted Kamala, Steve. Apparently, uh, Kamala's changed religions, along with becoming a man. You convert Kamala to a man. So he wasn't a man before? I don't know. Slick needs to figure out what the hell's going on here. Slick warns Kim Chi and Harvey Whippleman that Kamala will not be responsible for what he does to Kim Chi, even though he just wrestled Kim Chi. All righty. And we go on. It's that time. Main event time. Here it is. Loser leaves the WWF. Ric Flair takes on Mr. Perfect. I wrote great stuff early on in the match. Mr. Perfect going over huge early on. Good shit throughout back and forth. Ric Flair even tries to use a chair, but the referee takes it away as we go into a commercial break. Coming back, Mr. Perfect takes a dangerous da- uh, backwards bump over the top rope. Uh, up against the ring post. I couldn't tell if he was supposed to purposely take this bump or not, but they sell it as the reason that he is bladed. And I didn't go look this up. I'm not really sure if Vince knew about this beforehand or not, but he sells it on commentary pretty well. Um, But yeah, Hennig takes this odd bump backwards over the top rope in the corner. It looked awkward and a little dangerous, uh, but after he gets up from the move, he's um, all of a sudden bleeding on the outside of the floor. Rob Bartlett, as you pointed out, selling this match is serious, so I agree with you 100%. He was clearly told, you treat this match serious, and I think that's also why he didn't say a lot. He didn't know what the hell to say. He didn't know how to treat a wrestling match serious. So it was kind of funny, the the line you pointed out during this match. But the match goes on. We get a sleeper by Mr. Perfect. Ric Flair counters out of that with a back suplex, locks in the figure four and uses the ropes, but he's finally caught by the referee. And then Flair again thrown off the top rope by Hennig as we go into a second commercial break. Back from break, Ric Flair with a, uh, nails Hennig with a shot with the brass knuckles. And he gets a two count as Hennig gets his foot on the rope just before the three. Hennig then makes a comeback. Mr. Perfect begins to no-sell the Nature Boy's chops, which is kind of hard to do. But Sting does it all the time, so hey, why not? Ric Flair tries to pin Hennig with his feet on the ropes, but again, Earl Hebner catches him once more. Flair then attempts the backdrop, but telegraphs it too early, and it's right into the perfect plex. Mr. Perfect picks up the win in 20 minutes, and Ric Flair is gone from the WWF. Yeah, this is, uh, like I said earlier, this is my, one of my favorite Raw matches of all time. I, I don't know why. It's nothing, like, overly special. And I think over time, it, I think it's added... Um, it's added to the fact of the of the awe and the mystique of these two guys as far as their careers and how they're remembered. So over time, it's gotten better for me. You basically got Mr. Perfect in his prime when he was over more than he probably ever was in his career against a in his prime still Ric Flair. And uh, they get 20 minutes on TV. Uh, I know it's tape, but it was still live in a sense. This whole new format, and then this is what you expect. Uh, this is what they're trying to set the tone for, and um, this match delivered. Everything about it was good. You know, Bartlett didn't ruin it. Uh, Heenan was money during the entire match. Uh, the match itself was excellent. Uh, you got some some color on Mr. Perfect. Whether it was loud or not, who knows? But they did say it is uncensored, so it kind of makes sense. Heenan dropping curse words, and it's getting bleeped at the end, and and uh, it just. Everything about it was just perfect. Every little, every detail needed to be done perfectly, and they nailed it. And um, Flair job clean right in the middle of the ring to with the perfect plex. 
So um, I know they're buddies, and he had no problems doing that on the way out the door. But uh, it's really, it's still pretty cool to see. You don't get that very often. Yeah, and look at all the guys involved. You you had the two guys in the ring, Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair, and Bobby Heenan was on commentary for this match. All three of these guys did their parts so well. Heenan always did a great job selling Ric Flair matches and Mr. Perfect matches, for that matter. So uh, Heenan very heavily invested in this uh, on commentary, and then the match was a very solid match, especially for TV. You didn't get twenty minute matches that uh, uh, you know back in those days. You didn't see a pinfall finish to matches uh, this high profile of a match on TV. That's for sure. And uh, I couldn't even tell yeah. you the last time you saw a blade job on TV. So you got a lot here. And then, as you pointed you can definitely out, definitely tell somebody else had his hands in the cookie jar. Oh, absolutely. And then you can uh, you know another great job too was. Bobby Heenan's sell job after the match. Ric Flair's gone. He's gone from the WWE. Heenan goes nuts, as you point out. He jumps up. He goes ape shit, crazy. He's uh, dropping f bombs. He's dropping some kind of bombs. They're getting bleeped out. I don't know what he was really saying at ringside, but it just probably saying nothing. Really, probably was, but the the bleeps made it more suspenseful. It was uh, really good stuff. Bobby Heenan going nuts. I agree. Yeah, and he ends up leaving with Ric Flair. And uh, that's the end of the Nature Boys run here. His first run with the WWF as he's on his way back to WCW. They go to commercial and come back, and then Rick, <laughs> Vince McMahon quickly drops the line, uh, Ric Flair will still honor his obligations this coming weekend. Uh, he'll be working uh, the Garden, uh, Providence, I think, uh, matches against Mr. Perfect. So even though this is Flair's last match on TV, this was taped before the Rumble, so his last televised match was technically the Rumble, live anyway. And then, of course, you know, he works the headlock on Hunger and Providence the following weekend against Hennig. But, yes, this is Ric Flair's final week in the WWF. And then we go from this. Listen to this, Steve. We go from Mr. Perfect versus Ric Flair in a loser leaves the WWF match to the main event next week, Doink the Clown, taking on Typhoon. Oh, boy. That's going to draw. Uh, definitely. This is Doink's first, like, entering match, right? Unless he works the tapings prior to on the syndicated the following week, I haven't. Uh, I, I'd have to go look and see. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, pretty much for the most I'm part. Not sure either. But yeah, so I mean, I, I guess in that sense, like you just have Doink coming off that huge angle. I'm not saying I'm not trying to compare it to Perfect and Flair, but now it looks like shit. But back then, Doink has the only thing we really seen him do is beat the shit out of Crush with a fake arm. Now it's time to see him in the ring. What's he gonna do? What kind of tricks does he have up his sleeve? That sort of stuff. The the intrigue of Doink itself. Well, sticking um, sticking him in the ring with Uncle Fred is besides Typhoon. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Sticking him in the ring with Uncle Fred's not doing him much favors. Is by the way of uh, seeing how well uh, of a wrestler Doink is. Not flair and perfect by any means, but I'm still interested (laughs) to watch Matt Bourne and Typhoon. Uh, It doesn't go long. I'm pretty sure he takes care of him rather quickly. So I I sure it's okay. Maybe Uncle Fred trips on his way to the ring, and boom, it's already over before it starts. Uh, but, yeah, that's it, man. Guys, four weeks. We already wrapped up an entire month of WWF history in 1993. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know Steve's a little biased here. He's putting over fucking Typhoon matches. But that's all right. I'm sure it'll change when the Giant Gonzalez arrives. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I had fun, though, oh, Steve. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was fun. We went through four weeks of the WWF pretty fast. So appreciate you uh, showing back up to be able to knock out uh, an important show like this. And uh, next week, though, it's the Royal Rumble watch-along episode. So we're already doing a watch-along, like, three weeks into this. Uh, well, actually, two weeks, if you just count covering the actual uh, footage, uh, the, the actual WWF footage. So we've done, like, one week of TV, and now we're on to the very first of uh, a few 
watch-alongs, and that's the Royal Rumble match, which is always a fun one, no matter who's involved. So it's going to be a good time. Yeah, I can't wait for it. It's one of my favorite Rumbles. And again, it's, I think it's just because I remember the day still. And um, it's been a long time. We're coming up on 30 years. So it, it's not the best show. I'm not, I'm not biased in that sense. I just I try to find the good in anything. Uh, I mean, I can go back and watch WrestleMania 4 and enjoy the hell out of it. I know most people can't. I'll defend WrestleMania 9 till the, till the sun goes down. Um, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about that when we get there. But. I just I try to find the good in things, man. I don't want to. Everybody's on the internet is so negative as it is, so I want to. I'm not that type of person. I'll find something good out of everything, and so looking forward to the rumble. It's gonna be fun, man. And guys, don't forget we'll announce the winner of the Bret Hart autograph Bret Hart eight by ten as well as part of the Royal Rumble Watch Along Show. So follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. In the meantime. And that's all you got to do in order to enter to win, and we'll be contacting you guys. So keep those DMs open. If you guys have your DMs blocked, you cannot win. So remember to do that as well. <laughs> Steve, I appreciate you being here, man. We'll be back with the Royal Rumble watch long up next. It's going to be a good one. It's uh, Beverly's and Steiner's, Bam Bam and Boss Man, Marty and Sean, Razor and Brett, and, of course, the 30-man Rumble itself. About three hours, another three hours of fun coming up next week. Michelin Man Marty, right? Yes, yes. I don't know what the fuck that was. I thought it was cool as hell when I was a kid. I, you can, you know, I liked it because of the tassels and everything. So uh. it's, uh, you know, I don't even know if I had a thought on now it other than that. It. Yeah, I, I got to be honest with you. When I saw it back then, it was just off-putting because it wasn't his typical attire. So I was like, "What the hell is this?" But I didn't give it much thought other than that. But as I get older and I look at it, it's like this is really. It's like taking my eyes away from the actual wrestling. Like I can't stop looking at whatever the hell that is. Whoever designed that needs to be shot. Oh my God. Probably but. designed it. I don't know. There's a cool guy on uh, Facebook, Tom Fleming. He's the artist and uh, he's the one who did a lot of the concepts for a lot of the guys. And he's showing a lot of his work. So I would go, I'm not putting anybody over, but man, it's so cool. Like he just, he does like a concept Friday. And like the last couple of weeks, I think one of them was the one, two, three kid, like two weeks ago this week, it was uh fitting it was the narcissist so um he's like i didn't come up with the design i just drew what they told me they wanted uh he's showing some cool pictures of tatanka um adam bomb and those sort of things so like you want to see where these gimmicks came from and a lot of those art pieces that they like to show like in their biographies and everything he has a lot of them and it's uh he's coming a lot of 93 stuff so it's pretty cool uh, but i would love to know who came up with this shit idea that marty put on in, at royal rumble <laughs> never to be worn again Thank God for that. You got that right. Well, Marty Terrible. was never to be seen if, again for a while after this either. But uh, we'll talk about that next week as part of the Royal Rumble show. So, Steve, appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. We'll be back again next week with the Royal Rumble Watch Along, and then it's more WWF TV after that for February 1993. But for right now, it's Ray Russell, Steve X, that's saying we'll see you again next week as part of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. We'd like to thank our loyal fan base of listeners as you guys continue to listen, download, and subscribe to shows. We can't thank you guys enough, and please continue to spread the word and retweet all the posts from our Twitter account to help the brand continue to grow. Of course, all of our shows are available on WrestleCopia.com, but you can also find The Grenade on all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google Pod, Stitcher, 
Overcast, Pocket Cast, Amazon, iHeartRadio, you name it, and we're probably there. And a reminder that you too can win free prizes as listeners of The Grenade as part of our continuous free prize giveaway offers. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter at Rasslin' Grenade. That's it, R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. It's that simple. Be a follower of The Grenade and you're automatically entered in each and every free prize giveaway contest. As always, we encourage you to stop on over to our very own Patreon account, which you can find at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, where we offer an insane 14 tiers of goodies with prices available for everyone's price range. Prices start as low as $1, a $1 tier, to simply show your support of the Fledgling Podcast Network. Or you can select our $5 tier, the all-access tier, which is always offering up rare goodies, as well as complete access to our entire watch-along series, featuring prior WWF and WCW pay-per-views and special events that make a great complimentary piece to our Monday Warfare podcast. We're also making our way through the entire WWF Coliseum video series as a watch-along project on Patreon. Other shows in our watch-along series include episodes of WWF Saturday Night's Main Event, the classic Steamboat vs. Ric Flair one-hour match from Clash of the Champions 6, and so much more. We're always adding new content and shows to the Watch Along series as part of the all-access tier over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's $5 for the all-access tier. And again, we thank all of our loyal listeners for everything you've done. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. And until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there! All you ham and eggers at the Royal Rumble, the drape will drop. And so will the mouths of every man, woman, and child when you feast your eyes on Narcissus.